Michigan's number one sports talk show is on. And now, starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the radio octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Filling in for Michael Ball, here's Don Hewitt. And welcome, everybody, to yet another scintillating edition of Sports Cage. Don Hewitt here, filling in for Brendan McGuire. Brendan McGuire filling in for Michael Ball and the schedule. As I looked it up on the old uh, the old bulletin board in the uh, Jim Smalley newsroom here at CKRM, was uh, Brendan McGuire will be hosting Sports Cage tomorrow and Monday. I'll be back on Tuesday. And uh, Ballsy returns to the big chair on Wednesday. And all of us are going to be with the producer and the top dog, technically, of Sports Cage, Sean Kleisiger, known in elite social circles as Zinger. And we got a good show. We're going to start off with Mark Stephen. We're going to talk to Mark uh, in Calgary, the dean of. Uh, CFL play-by-play uh, radio announcers about the Flames, the NHL, a little bit about the CFL perhaps. We'll talk stamps. Uh, some interesting things happen in the NHL one, as we found out who uh, the 16 teams are going to be to play for the Stanley Cup. Uh, we're also going to have Rough Rider running back Frankie Hickson, who is learning a lot about Saskatchewan as he travels around spreading rider pride throughout this entire province. Arash Madani. We'll go at it with... Uh, Arash probably agreeing with everything he says about the Raptors as they completely collapse. Oh, man. Are you sad, Don? I know well, they, sad. they talked about we're going to get the winning culture back when they met the media this morning. Hello? They haven't had a winning culture there since 2019. The last time I checked the calendar, Zinger, is 2023. Yeah, well... I- that's a big time turnover with players that they add on that championship winning team. I mean, nobody's left. Who's left on? Is there anybody left on that Raptors team that won the championship? Yeah, there is a couple, but well, like the nucleus, there's, like yeah, there's the nucleus, uh, sort of of some players now did play on that team, but no depth. No depth. And uh, I'm going to talk to Mark. I think there's a lot of similarities between the Flames and the Raptors. You got no they, Lowry. They you got close. no Leonard. I mean, without those two guys, I don't think the Raptors are going to be winning that championship. Am I am I wrong in 2019? Well, I mean, I think the Raptors and the Toronto media have had a love-in for a couple of years because they won it all in 2019. Hopefully that love-in is about to end because they're underperforming. Anyway, we're going to hear from a, a couple of Pats as they talk about uh, the end of the Regina Pat season uh, at 4.30. Tom Bedard, of course, Connor's dad. Uh, we're going to talk to him. And uh, don't forget uh, to text it, to text us or you can call in uh, 306-936-6262. Uh, you can uh, send a message to Connor's dad, Tom, if you'd like to, and we'll read it uh, to Tom uh, about all that the, the Bedard family meant to Regina. I think they're Regina royalty and will be for some time. In fact, I would say this. When Connor's done his NHL career, he could come back to Regina at any time, run for mayor, and win handily. Do you think his number 98 will be retired? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I know, I think we're, it's, a, it's a topic for another day. We were going to discuss who the greatest Pat player is in all time. Rob Vanstone came down with a an illness. Mm-hmm. That's okay. We'll get Rob back. Uh, I know Ballsy said it 
on his access show after uh, Game 7 in Saskatoon that he felt Bedard was the greatest pet ever. It's a, something that uh, you can debate and talk about, but I'd, I'd have to agree with Ballsy that uh, you know he was the greatest pet. But if you want to send a message to the Bedard family, text us, 306-936-6262, and Zinger will read it right to Tom Bedard, Connor's dad at 4.30. James Gallo, we're going to find out where he is. He's somewhere probably on a bus heading to to Winnipeg. Uh, of course, the voice of the uh, Moose Jaw Warriors as the uh, rematch between the Ice and the Warriors uh, gets going Friday night in Winnipeg. Of course, the two teams played each other last year, same second round, and uh, the Ice... Uh, Beat Moose Jaw in five games, so the Warriors want revenge. We're going to hear a little about, little bit from John Paddock uh, after James Gallo, and then, of course, we'll close the show at 5.30 uh, with Glenn Souter. Glenn's always a fabulous guest, always interesting things uh, to listen to when he's uh, behind a microphone, and uh, that's how we'll wrap up this show. So, uh, don't forget again, you want to send a message to Tom Bedard, 306-936-6262. You can text him. So we're joined now by uh, Mark Stephen in Calgary. He's uh, the dean, as I said, of CFL play-by-play broadcasters. This will be his 28th season as the voice of the Calgary Stampeders. But, of course, he covers all sports in Calgary, uh, not just the Stamps. And he uh, follows along with the Flames, covers the Flames in Calgary, and uh, what is the mood right now in Cowtown, Mark, with yet another, uh, I thought, disastrous season for Calgary? I look at the, the personnel on that team, and I have no idea how they missed the playoffs. Well, not very good, and thanks for having me. Yes, for the exact reason you mentioned, there is a lot of talent here. They uh, were aggressive in the offseason to retool the roster, and uh, it didn't work out. They're done. They're out in the playoffs. Uh, it's not a very good mood, and... Uh, now we're just kind of waiting for the fallout to see what happens because obviously uh, they can't run the same group back next year. They'll just have to figure out some of the ways to get back to the playoffs because uh, this was a scenario nobody forecast. Now I follow you on Twitter and uh, you threw a tweet out there right after the uh, Flames went down in overtime against Nashville to be knocked out of the playoffs. Uh, and the tweet basically saying, you know, something has to be announced quickly about the status of Calgary General Manager Brad Treleving so that in the process can get going as to what they're going to do. Yes, he's without a contract, and, uh, you know, where, where it's going to go from here, I don't know. I am, you know, you do wonder when somebody goes this long and doesn't have a contract. But, uh, you know, if uh, they've got these decisions to make, which they clearly do, you know, if Brad Treleving's a part of it, so be it. Uh, get him signed and get him going forward. But if he's not for whatever reason, how much impact should he have on different decisions about players, about coaches, about other things? Because obviously, you know, his situation is number one, and then many, many others are, uh, you know, going to be based on what he does and what direction he wants to take the team. So he has to be resolved quickly. Haven't heard anything today. Uh, maybe something's percolating. I don't know that, but uh, it needs to be resolved fairly quickly because the, the guy that's deciding has to be decided upon himself. Well, it's strange because you've got uh, your general manager at the end of his contract, and you've got two more years uh, for your head coach, Daryl Sutter. Like, how does that work? 
That's a great question, and <laughs> one that's going to have to be resolved. And I would think that uh, Brad Treleving is, uh, you know, trying to get that sorted out as well. Uh, you know, he extended him two years, but couldn't get an extension himself. And you know, maybe it's not going to work out. I don't know, uh, but I think that they're in a situation where this better get resolved fairly quickly because, uh, you know, there are many decisions to be made. Uh, you know, Brad Trevling's had nine years on the job. Uh, I'd say he's done some good things. Uh, you know, he's kept the team somewhat competitive, but they're also going to have to sit back and take a look in the big picture. Are they really any closer today to the Stanley Cup than the day he arrived? And, uh, you know, despite his efforts and everything, I think the answer is no. So that may not be working in his favor as well. Well, we'll see if Tree Loving is a favorite son. I mean, we know that uh, Murray Edwards, the primary owner of the Calgary Flames, has always loved or really likes Daryl Sutter as the uh, mm-hmm. Edwards, of course, from Regina. Uh, yeah. But. Uh, is he still going to love Daryl Sutter? I don't know, but here's a question for you. I, like I said, it's weird. Tree Loving, done with his contract. Sutter with two more years. Is it possible, Mark? And right now, Daryl Sutter's getting a lot of criticism for the way this team went this year, and we'll go over that in a minute. And he deserves it, by the way. I mean, he, yes, he's a Hall of Fame coach, two Stanley Cups in Los Angeles, but I thought he had a bad year as the Flames coach. But is it possible? Because... Murray Edwards likes him so much that he could end up being the general manager. I would say that one is highly unlikely because his first tenure as general manager didn't work out at all. The team really struggled. So, I mean, I guess anything's possible, but that doesn't seem uh, likely. I'll tell you a scenario that has been kicked around, though, is that uh, Daryl returns as coach, but with Craig Conroy as general manager. Craig has been here for an extended period of time. You know, he's long removed from his playing days now, and he's been up for other general managers' jobs. So maybe he's a guy that can come in and work differently or better with Daryl Sutter or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's ready-made because, as I say, he's been here uh, doing just about everything since the day he retired back in 2011. I'll tell you, I love Craig Conway. I loved him as oh, yeah. a player. I like him as a person. Uh, that could be the answer to it all, and that's maybe why Treleving never got an extension. He might be the next GM who probably, possibly could work with Daryl Sutter better than yep. Treleving, and I'm not saying that Treleving doesn't get along with Sutter by any means, because he, he clearly does, but oh, that's an interesting thought. Oh, yeah. We'll see what happens. Oh, Craig, you're right, and Craig gets along with everybody, but he's paid his, done his time. You know, he's been... Uh, you know, working with the American League team, done a lot of scouting and recruiting and things. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't know when the exact right time to be a general manager is, but uh, if they're looking for one, uh, you know, that's the decision they come to. I don't think they have to go very far because if the Flames don't assign him or choose not to for whatever, he's going to go somewhere fairly soon. I understand he went fairly far down the uh, uh, interview process with Anaheim. He's pretty... uh, uh, close to getting that job, so maybe the next interview is the one that uh, puts him over, and he's a general manager somewhere else. Okay, getting back to the Flames hockey team this year, 30 one-goal losses, which uh, led the NHL by quite a bit, uh, uh, 17 overtime and shootout losses, which is crazy. I don't know, how many how many games did they lose, Mark? Do you know off the top of your head, how many games did they lose to teams with uh, below 500 records? I mean, they were just terrible against weaker yeah. teams. Well, I can tell you, I don't have all of those, but I can tell you the bottom two teams in each division, when you add up, you know, Chicago, Columbus, and everything, and put those records together, you know, it's Anaheim, Chicago, Montreal, 
Uh, I hope I got those. Montreal, Columbus, Anaheim, Chicago. They were four, five, and two in those eleven games. That's not good enough. Wow. That's you know, there's your record right there. Uh, you know, and uh, it just seemed that uh, they'd have a good game and then come to one of these teams that was well, well below them in the standings and just have an awful game. So there's your reasons. You nailed it right there. Uh, you know, subpar record in extra time. Uh, you know, six and seventeen in extra time. If they're at five hundred, even say nine and eight, they're in the playoffs. If you know, they shouldn't be under five hundred against those caliber of teams. I mean, one of them is probably going to be Connor Bedard's home next year, and uh, yet here the Flames are losing to them and losing them on a regular basis. Just four wins against those teams. So those are two of the principal reasons why they're uh, packing up their gear. You know, I was watching uh, last night the Raptors blow a. 19-point lead, have a terrible uh, second half. And I was thinking, you know what? The Flames, they remind me of the Raptors, honestly. Uh, you know, when, when things get tight, it, it really looks like both teams are trying not to lose versus mm-hmm. playing to win, not sort of relax like you have to be as much as you can be in a pressure situation. Do you see any comparisons between the two teams, Mark? I can see why you'd say that. Because uh, uh, and another thing too is there are two teams that uh, did not perform to the sum of their parts. Uh, right. I think there's enough talent in Toronto to move ahead. I think there's enough talent in Toronto to move ahead. You're right, and I think one of the criticisms that uh, you know the Daryl Sutter is going to have to address in the off season, whether it's publicly or privately, is that nobody looked like they were having a lot of fun a lot of times. And uh, I get it; it's a business; it's a high pressure business, but. You know, it's still you're coming to the rink. Let's not lose sight of that. And uh, I think there's a fair bit of pressure that the felt. And I would say the same thing with Toronto. How do you go 500 and free throws? 18 of 36. My goodness, that would uh, lose your high school games. Never mind NBA playoff games. So yeah, yeah I, I can see why there'd be uh, similarities there for sure. Well, and then the, the top off the cake. Uh, you know, Daryl Sutter uses Nick Ritchie in a shootout with with the playoffs on the line. While players like Tyler DeFoley are on the bench, Lindstrom, who else? Margie Opani. Uh, and he was getting criticized for it. I thought it was absolutely stunning that he would do that because, as far as I'm concerned, Nick Ritchie can't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, he's a, just a tough play. And, and it's, it's Daryl Sutter's continued infatuation with tough guys that is just, you know, I think somewhat out of date. Well, I can tell you, you're not the only one that was outraged and shocked by it. Uh, people were cut livid with it because, you know, there's Tyler Toffoli, and I know there's a lot that went wrong for the Flames this year, but don't put Tyler Toffoli in that category. He had a tremendous season. You know what? Go down with your best. Look, uh, you know, if the Nashville goalie beats him, I guess he beats you. You know, they, they got good players too, but have Tyler Toffoli with the season on your stick. I, I'm with you totally. I don't think that went over very well. I know it didn't go over very well, but people were kind of irate about the whole picture that, uh, you know, Nick Ritchie, yeah, he scored with Arizona back in November. Great. How about Tyler Toffoli, who had a fabulous season and is your top scorer? And I would say down the, uh, say, last 20 games was by far the dominant flame and uh, did a long, uh, a lot of work to keep the team in contention. Well, I hate to admit this, Mark, as a Montreal Canadiens fan, but the the Flames did get, and Treleving did get the better of Montreal uh, when they traded, uh, yep. when Toffoli went to Calgary and the first runner went back to Montreal. Uh, the Flames won that because 
Tyler DeFoley, man, he just lit it up. He was fantastic. If you just hold on, Mark, I want to come out of the break and chat with you about the upcoming NHL playoffs. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And we're back uh, with Sports Cage. Don here talking to longtime Calgary San Peter Radio play-by-play voice Mark Stephen. Well, uh, some interesting things uh, last night, Mark, when the Islanders got the last NHL playoff position. The Pittsburgh Penguins. How about them? They missed the playoffs for the first time in 16 years, Mark. Uh, you know, the big three they've got there of Malkin, Latang, and Crosby, they're building the team around them, but, uh, you know, as hard as it is to believe, uh, Sid the Kid is no longer Sid the Kid. You know, he's going to be uh, 36 <laughs> when next season hits. Yeah. I mean, you know, how many more uh, cracks do they have at it in Pittsburgh? It's been remarkable, and it's won them a lot, but, uh, you know, you can really see that window closing. So that was kind of shocking. It was the longest playoff streak in the big four sports in North America. So, yes. yeah, they've got some serious soul-searching to do there because, as they say, the big three, it's one of the remarkable uh, trios in NHL history, but uh, like everything, it's eventually going to end. And where exactly are the Penguins in that situation now? Well, said the kid is still a darn good hockey player. I feel sorry oh, for yeah. him because he can't and he won't uh, win another Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh. And, and being that he's played his whole career there, it's 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 an interesting issue about how badly does he want to win a Stanley Cup versus staying in Pittsburgh? Uh, there could be some intrigue ahead about Sid the Kid saying, at some point, I want to go somewhere where I can win another mug. Yep, that is certainly possible because he's uh, much closer to the backstretch of his career than the uh, you know front end of it. And uh, they won those two cups, but maybe he does want one more shot. Or does he want to carry on with Geno Malkin and the Latang, who uh, you know both uh, Crosby and Malkin, we should point out, while they're getting on in years, they they both had very good seasons over a, a point per game. So you know they're good. It's the rest of the supporting cast. They have some good players there, but clearly not enough of them. And I don't know where they go in Pittsburgh, but it uh, certainly is. A surprising that neither Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, the two Pennsylvania teams, aren't going to be in the playoffs. And you forget about how good Nashville's been over the years. It's the first time that they will miss the playoffs since 2014. Well, here's the crazy part, too. that They kept the right down to the absolute last minute, despite the trading multiple players at the deadline there. They basically uh, cleaned house and uh, right. somehow got a little bit better. But, no, you're right. They're a team, you know, and they've had a lot of injuries, too, we should point out. Uh, I, I was surprised how much they uh, stuck in. But, uh, you know, they're a good team as well that's uh, been traditionally defensive-focused. And, uh, you know, they've been in the playoffs a lot of years, did play in the finals one year. So, yeah, I guess I'd have to say I was a little bit surprised about their situation it's uh unfortunate that uh, they're out so no more partying in smashville this year for the playoffs there. <laughs> well you know uh that made the flames loss to nashville all the worse because they had five i think five very good players injured they traded four away they're playing oh, yeah. almost an ahl team and they still beat the flames in a huge game yep <laughs> that's right up. Uh, you're right it is 
yeah, it's a really unfortunate. Uh, that's the situation the Flames were in. But, you know, I know it's easy to focus on that one game and, and the uh, shootout, and I get it. It uh, is very recent. But I think some of the stats you quoted uh, really put the Flames' playoff chances in jeopardy. I'm talking about the overtime and extra time record and the record against the uh, lower-tier teams in the league. They, they've been in trouble for quite a while after a, a great start at 5-1. and one. They spent an awful lot of the uh, time chasing the uh, season. It just never got, you know, after that start, uh, it just seemed to be always in trouble. And, uh, you know, they went on a seven-game losing streak very early in the season. So uh, that put them behind the eight ball, and they were chasing that playoff spot for a long time. Now, you think Flames fans are frustrated? How about oh, yeah. Buffalo Sabre fans? They missed the playoffs, yeah. Mark, after a few years of rebuilding, if not more, for the 12th straight season in Buffalo. <laughs> here's a, here's my first prediction for next year. Buffalo makes the playoffs. I think they're I think they're close enough. I think when Alex when Alex Tuck got injured, uh, they look like they're rolling to the playoffs. And then Alex Tuck went down, who I think you know really was a, a leader for that team. And as soon as he went down, I know he came back towards the end of the season, but it, they just weren't the same. But I agree with yeah. you. That you know they're going to have a, a better shot to make it next year. So if you take a look at at the teams that missed the playoffs, are the Flames the biggest surprise? Yes, I would say so because you know they uh, had a great season last year and won Daryl Sutter the Coach of the Year award, and uh, you know the expectation was despite losing to Edmonton in the uh, conference final second round that they were going to make a move and stay competitive and they never really did. I mean, they were close. They were in the playoffs and out of the playoffs, then mostly out. You know, Pittsburgh, uh, I guess you'd say they were in a similar vein, that they were fighting for their playoff lives for much of the year. But uh, I would say the Flames, I think they fell well short of expectations, and they're out of the playoffs. I mean, there's some other perennial playoff teams, like Washington's on the outside there, too. But of those teams, I would say uh, the Flames are the biggest surprise to be uh, packing up their gear right now. Right. I thought Kadri would would do it for them, but it didn't work out. I Just to close, I can't believe we just talked here for an, half an hour and didn't talk about the Stampeders or the CFL, but that looks like what we've done. But a little trivia question. I was looking up Calgary Western Finals, and yep. believe it or not, Western Canada Rugby Football Union, Calgary, you were in the first Western Final in 1911, Mark, the Calgary Tigers. So... <laughs> That's I have to check my trivia. notes. I didn't cover that game. So. No, you didn't. Oh, that's good. I just yeah. noticed the Calgary Tigers in the first Western final, but I know you guys want to get back in it. Something we'll talk to you about later. Yeah. Back in it again. You haven't uh, been in it, I think, since 2018, which is really... Yeah, the last Western yeah. final against Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's crazy. Three straight first-round exits, not uh, fitting well. So yeah, seven straight Western cool. finals before that, though, but... Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we'll see. But uh, a lot of competition, a lot of pressure, and you know the bar is pretty high. So uh, I have confidence, but they got to go out and show it, right? You bet, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Uh, sports Cage continues in just a moment. And your sports ticker at three thirty-two is for the Keniston Super Draft. There's eighty thousand dollars in prize money to be won during the NHL playoffs in this year's. Caniston Super Draft. The Toronto Blue Jays will go for a sweep of the Tigers tonight at Rogers Center. Chris Bassett will make his Blue Jays Rogers Center debut. He's off to a rough start so far this season with an ERA hovering north of 
Hen. So tonight would be a good night to get on track. Spencer Turnbull gets the start on the hill for the Detroit Tigers. Opening pitch at 5.07. It's time to pump you up. Get the latest in fitness and lifestyle tips with one of Canada's top fitness trainers, Tish Duffy. This is Train with Tish on the Sports Cage. This segment's catching on, so we're happy about that. Now, Tish, I'm uh, 50 years old, just turned 50. When can you expect to maybe just maintain and not put muscle on? That's a really good question, and it's, it's a hard one to answer. It's not kind of a black and white type of answer. There's so many factors that actually do have to come into play. Uh, things like genetics, what have you been currently doing, hormone levels, stress levels, how often are you sleeping, your diet plays a big role. So there are some factors that can help. I don't want to deter people from starting if they haven't in their 50s. Like, I mean, I have a 55-year-old client right now, typical guy, right, loves sports in his 20s, 30s, and 40s, went to the gym with his wife. She did the weights, he rode the bike while she did the weights. Um, and I've been training him now for six months, and he has put on some muscles. So I don't want to tell people it's impossible. Um, you definitely can certainly put muscle on in your 40s and 50s. It's certainly harder. Um, you have to you know, increase and improve your habits, but you certainly can. Maintaining muscle in your 50s is certainly going to be a lot easier, but it's not impossible uh, to put muscle on in your 50s. Okay, so here's a question for you. Now, you mentioned your client in his 20s and his 30s. I've worked out all the, all the way from the 20s right up to 50. Uh, but how should my workouts change? Like, should I go lighter weight, more reps, or, or more cardio? How should it change? So, uh, always make sure that you're walking. You know, you're getting your eight to 10,000 steps in a day. And strength training needs to happen Probably less volume, less intensity, but maybe more often. You also, uh, as fitness people like to call workout splits, they have, they have different terms, and you probably want to get rid of the bro splits in your workout. So instead of going to the gym and working one or two muscles, you certainly will want to do more full body uh, exercises so the whole entire body is getting trained it's, it's, instead of just one or two muscles. Instead of putting so much pressure on one or two parts of your body where the tendons and the joints are, you know, not as flexible and becoming a little bit more sensitive to certain loads. You just want to get this more full body load. Use more bands. Uh, take away some of the heavy dumbbells. Use more bands. They tend to be a lot easier on your joints as well. Um, but yeah, certainly want to lessen the load. I have one kind of a, a rule that I recommend. If you're in your 50s or, or late 40s and you can't do an exercise for about eight reps, you probably are doing too heavy of a load. So pick up a weight that you could do at least 10 to 15 times, and then you're probably going to be safe on your joints. Tish, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Michael. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Yeah, it's Don Hewitt back with Sports Cage. Don't forget, Sports Cage is brought to you by the Canadian Brew House. Simply Spiked Lemonade is new to the Canadian Brew House with four bold, full-flavored, fizzy choices to enjoy, especially for summer. And for the Canadian Brew House, enjoy the NHL uh, playoffs on Saturday night uh, with a dollar off on Bud and Bud Light tankards. Doesn't sound like a bad deal. 
Anyway, Zinger, we're joined now by sophomore Rough Rider running back Frankie Hickson, who really turned some heads right away in training camp. And uh, by the time he, he was uh, finished playing with an injury, unfortunately, he was becoming a fan favorite. Of course, Frankie Hickson, 5'8", 200 pounds, uh, played at Liberty. And I'm going to ask you first, uh, Frankie, uh, you played at Liberty. Uh, how well did you know former Rough Rider quarterback and coach Kent Austin? Well, first of all, I just want to say that it's great to be with you today and to to talk with you. But, um, you know, Kent Austin was uh, a, a great influence on my um, my views about football um, and life as a whole. Um, I didn't know very much about the CFL uh, until he got uh, hired on the uh, Liberty football staff and um, – but the the moment he got on the staff, you could just tell that he was just a different type of offensive mind, and um, the his being able to translate some CFL things to uh, a college football team and um, really get us to to understand concepts and, and things of that nature um, more than just running routes out there on the field. And it seems like even the NFL, Frankie has been copying in, in years of late the CFL with, with offense and, and as well as college. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, every every time that there is a successful way to modify some things and switch some things up that the defense has never seen before, um, I think uh, it kind of just flows through uh, – college ball, pro ball, high school ball, even Little League, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of just, you know, domino effects uh, once it's seen that it's successful. Um, so it it's, it's actually really fun to see the influences between the games and um, even see some things, like you said, come to fruition uh, in college and, and even high school. You had a great rookie season uh, in the CFL, Frankie, that's for sure. 85 rushes for 533 yards, one touchdown. But the thing that really sticks out for me is a six-yard average. Uh, now, August 26, you're playing the Lions. You, you took off for 129 yards uh, rushing, which was the best of the season for you. Uh, 8.6-yard average. So you obviously learned pretty quickly that you can play in this league. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I think just the very much so a, a one day at a time mentality um, kind of uh, helped me um, last year, where I was just focusing on maximizing what I could um, for the day, and then, like you said, you look up and it's a Friday night, and it's my turn to start, and it's like nothing, nothing ever changed, and um, ultimately, I would, you know. Obviously, offensive line had a great offensive line. I had a lot of great veterans around me last year. Um, Dan Clark, love the guy. Um, he he's one of the many reasons why um, I was so successful last year. Just helping me um, get accustomed not only to the playbook but also to pro life and 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 just having confidence in yourself. Right, a great leader, Dan Clark. We'll see what happens. I mean, he's not. 
signed with the team to play football right now, but you never know with injuries. Uh, who knows if Dan Clark could resurface in Saskatchewan. I, I know one thing that's going to make you feel better is Ryder General Manager Jeremy O'Day and Head Coach Craig Dickinson talked a lot about improving the offensive line. Uh, they've done a lot of work, uh, a whole pile of work, in recruiting uh, with offensive line down in the U.S., and they've signed a couple of rock-solid Canadian veterans as well. That must make you feel pretty good, uh, Frankie. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this uh, season. It's a consensus around the team, um, whether you're here in Regina already or if you're still back um, in the States or wherever you're from, that uh, if, if you're part of Rider Nation, you, you have a, uh, a breath of fresh air, and it just feels different this season. Um, it feels like uh, a lot of anticipation for this um, upcoming training camp, and want to see what what this team can actually come up with, and um, actually just get back with the guys and continue to create the chemistry and the bonds from the the guys who were here last year, and to create new ones with the with the new guys coming around. Now, you were pretty brave to uh, stay all winter in Saskatchewan, being that you're from a warmer climate, Frankie. Uh, now, when you're when you're talking to your friends about Saskatchewan, do you, do you tell them about how cold it is here, or what, what do you say to them? I don't think you could ever put into words um, how cold it actually is. It's, it's just something that you have to feel. Um, <laughs> and, and in truth, I tell my friends and my family, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of off limits after September. Um, you know, I, I given my parents and my family a hard cap that they cannot come past like August or something. Like they have to come in the warmer months. There's no way I'm having them out here. And, and they've never experienced this type of cold because it is definitely a different type. Yes. Now, did you have to learn about winter clothing and things like toques, et cetera? Um, I had to learn that you can't take any days off from cold wear. I had to learn that just because it looks great outside doesn't mean that uh, you don't have to layer up. So, uh, yeah, I guess you could say I had to learn some hard lessons when I got here. Now, of course, you've been working as an ambassador for the Rough Riders all winter, uh, spreading rider pride and helping a, a lot of kids and getting to know them around the province all year. Outside of the weather, uh, what, Frankie, have you learned about Saskatchewan? I've learned that this is a very close-knit community. Um, I've learned that even outside of Regina, just in, in the province of Saskatchewan itself, just top to bottom, this camaraderie, this uh, crazy fan base and, and yes you guys are a bit crazy because <laughs> for you all to support us the way that you do um, year in year out no matter what goes on um, we really appreciate it and it does help and we need each and every single one of you to to continue it and, and for us to take another step we have to take a step as an as a entire rider nation um, and that that begins with us as players and coaches, and uh, that'll trickle down to the fans, and we need everybody. Now, traveling around Saskatchewan like you have, and exactly what you just said, you, you've seen how much the Rough Riders uh, mean to people in this province. Do you think some of your your American teammates really understand that, or do they get a, a good feel of it because they haven't 
really done what you've done around Saskatchewan. Yeah, I don't think you can really grab a hold of that concept until you've actually been out in the community. I think um, those home games, um, every time we, we get a chance to, to play in Mosaic Stadium, I think you you kind of feel how, how big it is and how um, strong Rider Nation is. But until you actually get out into the community, you see the kids, you see the the looks on parents and, and teachers' faces when you're, you know, you're, you're saying some, some good advice to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't really tell um, what it's all about until, until you, you see that for yourself. And it's a blessing, honestly. Um, I kind of stepped out on faith coming early um, to Saskatchewan and, um, you know, stand for the winter. Um, but it's been worth it. It's uh, even more, so much more than I could have ever imagined. That's cool. Now, as you travel Saskatchewan, tell us about some of your uh, interesting adventures or did anything wacky happen at all? Oh, no, I mean, no, nothing nothing too crazy, nothing too wacky. Uh, <laughs> I'd say um, just honestly the, the joy that the, the kids have brought me and um, even just seeing how, how dedicated these teachers are in Saskatchewan, um, it, it gives me a lot of hope for the next generation, um, and and all I want to do is be a part of the change to just to be the change. Now, how are the roads? Did you ever have any tough days in winter weather and highways? Uh, sure, definitely, definitely <laughs> had some tough days uh, where I've had to learn the the hard way what what it's like to really drive on an ice rink. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I. I've learned from, you know, my girlfriend and her family. They have definitely helped me out with with just living life here um, in Saskatchewan and, and trying to do it the safe and proper way. One thing I'll tell you, Frankie, there's nothing better than a Saskatchewan gal. That's for sure. <laughs> nothing better. I married one, so did Zinger. You can't beat them. Anyway, well, let's get back to football now. Uh, I mean, in terms of your workouts, I mean, you got such a fabulous facility at mosaic stadium off season yeah absolutely and uh the the greatest thing about that is we're uh probably about over uh 50 percent of the field is open now um Mm -hmm. so bits flooded still but um they're starting to get to the outdoor workouts and feeling what it's like to have the sun beating on you when you're um working hard and um I got a chance to catch some kicks from Brett um, the other day, and, and it just feels good to to kind of see the empty Mosaic Stadium and <laughs> kind of just imagine what what it's like. And you know, part of preparation is is mentally being there already, and uh, it's given me a, an amazing opportunity just to work in in Mosaic Stadium. It's given me an opportunity to to kind of imagine and picture where I will be in the next couple of months you're going to be in the opposition end zone that's where you're going to be frankie yes sir absolutely anyway now in fact you had a 24 yard kickoff return average so you did very well in special teams by the way now uh, of course uh, kelly jeffrey is taking over as the new rough rider 
offensive coordinator. Have you talked to him much, or what do you think of him? Well, Coach Coach Jeffrey is a great guy. I think above all else, you'll know that he is a straight shooter, and uh, he can he can see through all the BS, um, and he's going to give it to you straight. He's going to tell it like it is, and I think that's the the, the best thing about it. And but he's also very um, aware of his players and uh, motivating as well. So um, you know, me and Jamal and Keenan LaFrance, we we all had an opportunity to kind of see a little bit of Coach Jeffrey um, very early on. We knew that he was just a, a, a different guy and. Um, very happy for him to have this opportunity and excited to see what, what he's going to come up with. And um, I've had a chance to talk to him here and there, but um, I know he's working really, really hard uh, just as much as we are. That was a dumb question, by the way. Did you meet him? He was with the team last year. <laughs> Dawn to planet Earth. Dawn to planet Earth. Anyway, <laughs> you've got a new quarterback, Trevor Harris. Uh, any communication with Trevor? What do you think of him? Of course, you, you've you watched him play in Montreal. Yep, yep, absolutely. I uh, First of all, he's a, he's a man of God and a leader, and uh, you can tell that already. Um, he's already been doing a lot of things for, for the team, and um, you know, just making suggestions and trying to help us out um, as a team and um, as an offensive unit. Um, but when it comes to just a guy who's going to put it all out on the line, he's going to sit in that pocket and, and take the beating and still make the throw, um, that's what you're going to have with him, a guy who wants to win, but a guy who wants to do it the right way and um, who wants to get his teammates involved. And so it's um, – it's been great to have him um, around. Just the the few conversations that we've had. Again, what we talk about the the breath of fresh air. He's he's one of the biggest reasons why. That's good. Now, fans really like the combination of yourself and uh, Jamal Morrow. I think you're a great twosome. I want you both out there. I, I think it's better when you're both playing and both rotating. Uh, um, tell me about your relationship with Jamal Morrow. That's my guy. That's my uh, that's my big brother, and uh, I had a I had the opportunity to not only be coached by my coaches, but coached by my teammates as well. Um, so many times, you could kind of see the rookie in me coming out, and there was always someone to pull me back and to. To, to give me the right perspective that I needed. And that was most of the time that was Jamal. And, um, you know, we always, I always call us Mario and Luigi, but we can't even do that anymore <laughs> because of, you know, Super. We can't even do that because uh, he's Mario um, and he's Super Mario. So, yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, we're, that's that's my big brother. And I, I'll never be able to thank him enough for what he did for me last season. And, um, I can only hope that we'll both be able to to hit our accomplishments and hit our goals because we're both very goal-oriented people. That's good. And Mario's got a new movie, too. Are you going to go see that one? Yeah, 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 he does, actually. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Mario went to go see it. I, I'm betting yes. Yeah. <laughs> he better. He I think better. so. Frankie Hickson, keep up the great work. Thanks for joining us on uh, Sports Cage. Uh, Sports Cage continues in just a moment. 
Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. And we're back with Sports Cage. Don Hewitt here uh, with Zinger and uh, Sean Claysinger. Some people call him that, too. Not many. No. Do you ever get called, actually, Sean Claysinger? Zinger? No. No. Not unless I'm at, like, a bank or something, and they're like, you know. I'm Zinger, man. It's on my birth certificate, too. It just says Zinger. <laughs> <laughs> now, can you, like, sign a check and just sign it with Zinger? Yeah, that's what I do. No, I'm just joking. No, what's really weird is when, like, uh, my, like my wife doesn't even call me Sean. She calls me Shawnee. 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 So whenever she says Sean, I kind of, like, perk up, and I'm like, what? Like that's weird. Don't don't do that. You know, nobody calls me Sean. Maybe maybe my mom and dad call me Sean. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's like it's not even my name anymore. I don't know. Now, how did you get Zinger? How did that happen? How for how, how long ago? Ooh. This is very this is the best part of the show, folks, in case you're wondering. Yeah. No, Zinger happened. Uh they started calling me it when I came here on the sports cage back October 10th, 2018. Is that because you played high school football as a quarterback, Greg Zinger? That's what I thought it was. No, it's just it's just like an abbreviation of my last name, Kleisinger, Zinger. You know? I don't see any tie there at all. Yeah. <laughs> Kleisinger and Zinger. And actually, my uh, yeah, my my cousin, my cousin, my first cousin, Jared Kleisinger. Oh yeah. He uh, he used to play on the Regina Rams, and he played on the Regina Thunder, and his friends used to call him Zinger. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, so it's like a generation okay, no, of zingers. Okay, I can zingers. see it now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, really? A yeah. generation of zingers. Yeah. Hmm. And that's what they named the zinger sandwich after at a local fast food restaurant, too. I'm not going to name it because I don't know if I can or not. But. Was it named after yourself? Yeah. You're kidding. No. <laughs> you believed me, too, didn't you? <laughs> well, you're well known. I mean, you're known far and wide. I, yeah, I did believe you. I, I did believe you 100%. Yeah, I was a good actor in high school drama class high 90s high 90s in drama yeah that's pretty good isn't it i don't know it's not math (laughs) i wasn't good at math so don't look at me like i'm gonna give you another subject (laughs) richard sandani the former well he didn't make the rams because there's a very strange guy coaching the rams that year that cut him but he's been a great calgary stampeder he just got cut in the USFL. I know he, he made a mistake and got on to some performing enhancing, enhancing drugs, and he has to miss the first two years, or first two games of next year. Think the Riders will have any interest in Richard Sandani at all, Zinger? That'll be, that'll be interesting. I, I, Richie Sandani, he was on the Regina Rams for, I think, one season, and then after that... Oh, he, he was. Yeah, the... Uh, then he went over to the Dinos, I believe. If I'm not, uh, if I'm he not went mistaken. to junior football. Junior Calgary Colts. That's yes, what it was. Yes, and then CJFL. the Stamps saw him play for the Colts and uh, were very interested in him. Yeah, that would be that and would be one to keep in your the back Dino. Pocket. He went to the Dinos though in between. Yeah, yeah. So he's been he's been here there, but he won a Grey Cup, I believe, with Calgary the last time the Stamps won the Grey Cup in 2018. So he can bring some championship moxie to the locker room. I don't know. I'd keep it in your back pocket. Who knows? He's a big body type receiver. I mean, he's not like overly big. I think he's like 6'2", 200 pounds. But, mm-hmm. He's yeah. fast, though. Yep. Yeah, so. 
I just thought of him because I heard that he was released in the USFL. Yeah, and, uh, I saw that go across the wire. Let's uh, see if anything happens there with the Rough Riders. Uh, anyway, we'll be back uh, with the Raj Madani sh- shortly. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. Time now for Coast to Coast with Arashma Danny, our weekly chat with a guy who has covered it all. From Hockey Night in Canada, the Olympics, World Series Baseball, and everything in between, this is Coast to Coast with Arashma Danny. And we're back with Sports Cage Don Hewitt and Zinger. And don't forget, Sports Cage is brought to you by the Canadian Brew House. Simply Spiked Lemonade is new to the Canadian Brew House with four bold full-flavored, fizzy choices to enjoy uh, for the Canadian Brew House. Enjoy the NHL playoffs. Enjoy any sort of playoffs with a dollar off tankards of Bud and Bud Light. Even and if your team's not in it? Even Sorry for cutting you off, Don. Oh, go ahead. No, you can you can go to the uh, Canadian Brew House even if your team's not playing. Zach. How are you supposed to enjoy the NHL playoffs? I barely... No, yeah, I, I won't go there. Canadian Brew House is a great place, though. Don't get me wrong. I go there every single weekend. Every single weekend, mark my words, you'll see me there. Okay, well, are you are drinking we, a cola? Do because we have I'm to check this, edge. to see if you're uh, telling the truth? Oh God, I opened up a can of worms now. So you could go ahead. Sorry for cutting you off, Don. Great radio. <laughs> <laughs> Coast to Coast with Arash Madani, uh, brought to you by uh, Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money. Call Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions, 306-546-2533. And our man in the big smoke, Hogtown, Arash Madani, uh, on top of everything that goes on in Regina, or rather Canada, I was going to say Regina's biggest city, that made no sense, Canada's biggest city. <laughs> Uh, including uh, two teams that basically the entire country followed, the Blue Jays, who we'll talk to Rush in a moment about, who are just another great comeback. They're just coming back left and right here this season. And the Raptors, the other uh, team that's nationally followed, who does quite the reverse so far. And Arash, I was listening to some of the interviews uh, that were going on uh, earlier today, uh, with Raptor players, Nick Nurse, etc., and they talked about bringing back or getting back the Raptor winning culture. And then I thought, hey, wait a minute, they've been lousy since they won the NBA in 2019. It's been quite a while to bring back the winning culture, Arash. Yeah, and you take a look at what they've done. They miss on a first round pick with Malachi Flynn. They yep. trade a conditional first for Thad Young, who is nowhere near the floor. They have one playoff series win. That was in the bubble uh, coming out of COVID. Then they played the season in Tampa. That, you know, they called it a tank, but it was a uh, complete disaster. Um, and, you know, I mean, last night you're up nine. I, I thought that was a microcosm of it all. It was. You're up yeah. 19, and you're at home to an inferior opponent, and you blow it. And, you know, you can take a look at the at the 18 missed free throws, and you can point at the micro of it. Um, but uh, this has been a macro problem for quite some time, Don. Well, and it's at the management level. I mean, there's two men Correct. basically running the Raptors in terms of uh, the basketball organization and a coach, of course. But 
these guys have dropped the ball. And I know there was a love-in with the Toronto media for a few years uh, for the Raptors, understandably. They won the NBA in 2019. But is that love-in finally coming to an end, Arash? I mean, are, are people realizing this is one badly managed NBA basketball team? Yeah, it's it's a good point, Don. I mean, you know, when, what was the last significant move they made that really paid off? And you'd have to say it was probably the Marcus Gasol trade, the year they won it all, but it was really Kawhi mm-hmm. Leonard. Agreed. Kawhi Leonard put together one of the greatest playoff performances in NBA history. And they went all in, and they they bought a lottery ticket, and it paid off. So, you know, you give them credit for 2019. Here's the thing about pro sports, though. I, this, this leash was so long on this group. And, you know, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series in 2016. How long was Joe Madden there before they realized Good point. things weren't working? Doug Peterson and the Eagles win the Super Bowl. A couple of years later, Peterson's gone. And I'm not here saying that, you know, people should be fired, but you have to identify when things aren't working. You have to identify when it's time to move on from a player or a situation or whatever that may be. And I thought the last two trade deadlines were microcosms of this failure. Fred Van Vliet can opt out at the end of this season, and the Raptors may not get anything for him, and they were holding on to get a King's ransom, and it didn't happen. The overvaluing of their own assets has in part put them into this mess, not only the overvaluing of thinking how good they are on the floor for them, but overvaluing what they think that asset is worth on in the market when it comes to trade. Totally right. Totally agree with you. I mean, they thought when they got Jakob Pertl, uh, uh, it seemed like they thought, oh, we're, we're going to win now. It that seemed like that's what they really thought because bad. of the over-evaluation of, of the talent that they thought they had. Right. And it was just flat wrong. And they flat missed on it. And, you know, let's even say, Don, I mean, you know, we can play this game forever, but even if they got through last night, and even if they got through the next play-in game, Okay, great. So, you're going to go up against Milwaukee? <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. I, I was wondering how long that game's that series is going to last. Cool. It'll be over before it began. Yep. Um, this this whole thing has been flawed for a while now. It has. I agree. It, and you know, I'm watching Gary Trent Jr. last night, mm-hmm. uh, who had a bad game. Uh, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, I was sort of sad to see Norm Powell leave when right. Gary Trent Jr. came into the team. That even, as it's turning out, as far as I'm concerned, is is it was a bad trade. Norm Powell had a maple leaf stuck in his heart, and out you go for Gary Trent Jr. Yeah, and Trent likely is gone at the end of this season. I, I don't see him returning. No. I mean, there's a scenario in which that could happen, but it's doubtful. I, I, you mentioned the comments that were made today, and for those listening who may not have heard it, like there were everybody was saying the right things. No, oh, they were. It was, a, it was a series of how many different ways can how many different people be noncommittal to the situation that I'm presently in while not entirely closing the door on it. Mm-hmm. Led by the coach, um, you know, who has been around 10 years. But, you know, Nick Nurse is orchestrating his own exit out of Toronto. He wants to be gone. That much is obvious. 
you know, what's going to happen with OG Ananobi? That's a big question. One of the better defenders. Um, you know, another another real asset at the trade deadline that could have got them something, except they wanted too much for him. So this this is going to be a really intriguing offseason because when you trade a conditional first for Thad Young, and that first is going to San Antonio next year, Just are you really going to give the Spurs a, you know, a top-end pick? Woof. Well, are, are the, the, the head honchos at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, I mean, are they just in love with who's, you know, the two guys running the Raptors and they can't see the trees for the trees or what? It's, it's a quite Like, this is what I find interesting about when you have a board of directors or board of governors who oversees your basketball team, your hockey team, any kind of pro sports franchise. There is not a singular owner or, a, you know, two or three people in an ownership group. And so, you know, my question has always been, well, who does Masai report to? Masai Ujiri is the president of basketball operations. We know the GM, Bobby Webster, reports to Masai. Yeah. But, who, you know, what's the structure? And the answer I always get is, well, it, he reports to the board. I'm like, oh, great. What do people in the board, on the board, know about basketball operations? How do they evaluate what's happened here? And the last I checked, and granted COVID was a part of it, et cetera, um, not, not a ton of extra revenue has come in and for, no. you know, with playoffs. And here's the other thing. And this is where things get dangerous, Don, as you know. What happened this year for the first time since the run to the finals, there were empty seats in the building. Yeah. They weren't sold out all the time. And when that happens, that's when eyebrows get raised, well, when it affects yeah. the bottom line. That's And it won't happen until that happens. I've even seen it here with Saskatchewan, uh, the Saskatchewan Refresh. My concern was Larry Tannenbaum is in love with the Messiah jury. Right. He's in love with him, is he? But he's also in love with his pocketbook. And hopefully, like you said, when revenue goes down. But, I mean, this this is going to uh, be interesting next year if not a reasonable amount of change doesn't occur. Uh, th- there's going to be more empty seats because this team just kept choking. Choking and choking and choking. The reverse of what the Blue Jays are doing, who, who what, Another come from behind win last night, the sixth time this season. They're seven of eight. They scored two runs in the ninth last night. And big George Springer with that RBI and 10. It seems like the Jays are doing the reverse. The Raptors are finding ways to win. Yeah, and they really are. And it was interesting, the approach they took in extra innings last night. You know, now with the ghost runner on second base, they're able to get out of jam get out of a jam at the top of the 10th, and then suddenly you saw some small ball. You saw a lot of manufacturing of runs last night, didn't you, Don? Yes, that's exactly right. Yep. And and it's interesting because early in the game, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was, you know, nailed at the plate by like five feet. Yeah. It, it's, it's an interesting mix and dynamic they have right now because they want to be aggressive. They want to be aggressive in their approach. They want to be aggressive on the base pass. They want to just be an aggressive offensive team. Great. But there, there, you know, you, you also have to be sane in, in the decisions that you make and smart in the decisions that you make. And I felt as that game went on, the Blue Jays 
did that a little bit more. I mean, they got a, they caught a break on a bizarre rule um, involving Guerrero rounding third base. But when extras rolled around, it was almost like it was clinical. It was close to what their plan was, and they stuck to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very impressive. Very impressive start to the Blue Jays season because they are, like you said, they are they've got winning figured out at least early this yep. season, and let's hope it continues because that's what good teams do, and that's what bad teams like the Raptors don't do. Mm-hmm. Let's say it the way it is. But uh, thanks for joining us again. About last night, just one last thing, Don. I know we got to go. You bet. Kevin Gosman, last night starter. I know he gave up the home run late, and I know it's very, very early in the season. But he was my pick for the AL Cy Young Award coming into the season. There's yep, a lot to great. like with Gosman getting the ball number two in the rotation. Yep. Um, he looks electric early. Yep. No, he's he's a winner. I, I feel so confident when he when he uh, goes on the mound there, Arash. But thanks a lot for joining us. A great chat as usual. Uh, Sports Cage continues in just a moment. Man, the Blue Jays have been fun to watch so far this season. That was a fun ball game last night. The Jays came back in the bottom of the ninth, tied it, took it to extras, and you heard it right there. George Springer shoots one up the middle. Blue Jays win at 4-3, to three, the final score, and George Springer is your sports cage clutch performer for Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent Dealer. Give them a call at 781-1077. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And we're back inside the Sports Cage. It's 423. It's Don Hewitt and myself, Sean Kleisinger, today. And we're getting closer here to chat with Tom Bedard, the father of Connor Bedard, coming up here at 435. And make sure to text us up, 306-936-6262. If you have a question that you want to ask... Mr. Tom Bedard, just hit us up on the text line for Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, and uh, we will read the text live on the air for Mr. Bedard coming up here at 435. Well, yesterday at the Brand Center, it was quote-unquote garbage bag day for the Regina Pats as they cleared out their lockers, and it was also media day, and we got to hear from a couple... 20-year-old last-year players who are making a, making their way out the door, the Brand Center door for the very last time. And a couple of those guys is Riley Janelle and Luke Bateman. And here they are from yesterday. Yeah, it's never a, a day you look forward to. Um, but, you know, it, it comes comes around eventually. So um, just kind of look back and reminisce on all the times you've enjoyed with all the players and you know, everyone you've met and coaches throughout the years. Uh, you know, going out to eat with the guys and, you know, those long, those long bus trips don't seem so bad uh, when it's all said and done. But, yeah, it's, it's a pretty emotional time. But, um, you know, you got to kind of focus on more of the, the good stuff than, than being uh, sad that it's over. How, do you, how fast did this five years fly by? Oh, uh, everyone always says it, but, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem as fast until it happens to you yourself. So, you know, once you're just starting out as a rookie or, or just coming into this league, everyone always talks about how um, how fast your time goes by in the, in the Western League, and blink of an eye, it's it's already gone. So um, yeah, like I said, just enjoying every moment of it, and you know, soaking in every second you can. It's it's all been you know really enjoyable for me. Um, 
been been to a few teams. Um, it's kind of nice to see how how different teams and, and places operate. So it's overall been a, a great experience for me and, and my whole career. What were your expectations with this team this year? Um, I came in here. Um, I was obviously ecstatic to be a, a part of an organization uh, organization like this. Um, just wanted to add some size and and some um, some grit and some some work for this team. Um, you know, we didn't make playoffs last year, so definitely one of our our goals this year. And I like like to help um, get us there. And and luckily we did. So I think we we had a very hard fought battle against a a good team. Um, did a you know, did better than a lot of people thought we did. I'd say, but uh, would have been nice to win that series. But I'm still proud of our team for sure. From your perspective, just some more thoughts about that series against the Blades. <clears throat> um, yeah, it was a hard-fought battle. I mean, we showed up every game. That, that's a good team, you know. Um, they won a lot of games this year for a reason. Um, you know, being the sixth seed in that series, um, you know, we, a lot of people doubted us, I feel like. And, um, you know, we came out strong. Um, unfortunately, lost a couple games here back home, but, um, you know, pushed it into game seven, and I think we played our, our hearts out, and unfortunately, it, it didn't go um, the way we wanted to, but, I mean, I'm very proud of our team and, and how we performed uh, against a, a team like that. How was it like playing those crowds, whether it was here in the sold-out crowds or those packed barns in Saskatoon? Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, I've <laughs> been in rinks with... Uh, you know, maybe not a lot of fans at games, and then going back and forth with the sold out, sold out barns. It's uh, it's insane. Um, it's, it's super cool to to see that and the fans coming together to you know support both teams. Um, like I don't think Saskatoon sold out and probably the World Juniors in 2008 or or when, whenever that was. So um, yeah, it's really special. I think it's really good for the game too. You know, growing and getting people more involved in in the city and and for their team. It's awesome. If you can't win your last game, is the best next best way to end your season losing at a game seven? Yeah, I think I think that's the way you you have to go out if you if you're gonna go out. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but at least we can say we did we did everything we could. You know, we, we pushed them to uh, to life or death, um, and the same with us. And unfortunately, it just just didn't go our way. But yeah, we still played well. What does the future hold for yourself? Um. Just kind of wait and see right now. Uh, I want to keep playing hockey. Um, hopefully, turn professional and um, see where see where that road takes me. But I'm in uh, no no real rush or anything to decide what uh, what to do now. So, what does it mean for you to play in a league that your dad and grandpa also participated in? Yeah, it's it's really special. You know, there's always a debate of if you want to go to school or or join the Western League. Um, you know, with my grandpa and my dad both playing in it and, and being a, a big part of the league with my grandpa, um, I thought it would be pretty special for me to, to join the league myself and, um, you know, play play as much as I can and, and enjoy the, the league and, and what it has to value for, for players moving forward. And, you know, just for life experiences as well, um, it's not only um, a spot where you can advance your hockey career, but, you know, the, the people you meet and the life skills you develop and stuff, is it's, uh, it's pretty important. So... Yeah, I got a, um, a lot of praise for the Western Hockey League, for sure. And here's Pat's defenseman, Luke Bateman. Uh, I think I'm just trying to soak it all in, just say goodbye to some of the boys that I might not ever see again and really, really cherish. So, yeah, I think on the bus ride home from Saskatoon, I was really just looking back and seeing and remembering those moments and memories that I've had through these last four years. What was it like to be a part of this team this year, all the media attention, the, the sold-out stadiums and everything? 
It was cool. I definitely won't forget it. It's something that I don't think uh, everyone gets to experience in the hockey world playing juniors. So this will be this is special. Just your thoughts about the series against the Blades from your perspective? It was great. I think we did awesome. I don't think anyone would expect us to go to seven games with Saskatoon. And I'm really proud of the boys for pushing. Your thoughts about the, the defensive unit as a whole, especially in the second half? It seemed like you guys uh, really improved in the back end of the season. I think we... I think we trusted, everyone trusted ourselves back there and uh, we knew our roles and everyone everyone just played their best of their ability. But you felt that you left it all out in the series against the play that really, you did a lot of shot blocking it seemed like throughout that series. Yeah, I definitely think I, I did the most that I could have, but I'm not, a, I'm not a point guy, so I definitely had to lock it down in the D zone, which I thought I did pretty good. You can't win your last game, is game, losing game seven the next best way at the end of the season? That's not the best. I don't think losing's good at all, but uh, I think it's better than losing four in a row. So, how do you how fast did this uh, four years go by for you? Way too fast. I don't I don't think uh, people realize how fast it actually goes when you're having fun. This year was the fastest by far, and just wish it went by slower. What does it mean to be a Regina Pat? Uh, it's, it's an honor to be a Regina Pat. You know, they they've been part of this league for so long and there's so much history here and it's just awesome to be Pat. What's your plans to, I guess going forward now? I think I'm going to go home and uh, rest a little bit and then talk to my parents for next year. Definitely be going to school. Um, I'll probably play hockey. So. Or using the scholarship package? Yeah. Oh yeah. Right now it's computer sciences but if not probably just business. It's everything. I don't it's I don't think it's looked on enough because I think a lot of people would want their schooling to be paid for it, and we get that, which is which is very nice. That's the voice of Pat's defenseman, Luke Bateman, and before that, Riley Janelle, who uh, sat down and chatted with the media yesterday on a garbage bag day. The players uh, heading out the door for one last time for the 2022-23 season. We're going to hit the break. On the other side, we're going to be joined by the father of Connor Bedard to Mr. Tom Bedard on the Western Pizza Hotline. You're listening to the Sports Cage for the Canadian Brew House on 620 CKRM. It's 4.34. The Toronto Blue Jays will go for a sweep of the Tigers tonight at Rogers Centre. Chris Bassett will make his Blue Jays Rogers Centre debut. He's off to a rough start so far this season. An ERA hovering north of 10. Had to double-check that when I looked at that number. Tonight would be a good night to get back on track. Spencer Turnbull gets the start on the hill for the Tigers. Opening pitch coming up right away here. 5.07 p.m. Saskatchewan time. Your sports tickers for Bronco Plumbing and Heating where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. Give them a call at 781-2090. The CFL report is for Kevin's Marine. Make the most of summer with a boater pontoon from Kevin's Marine in Fort Coupel. Kevin'sMarine.com. And yesterday on the sports cage, we had Darren Flutie join us. Darren Flutie set to go on the Hamilton Tiger Cats Wall of Honor this season in August. And the legendary career of Darren Flutie almost never happened. Oh, boy. I tell you, I had almost had enough of football, right? I had been in the NFL, right? I went there 88 with the Chargers as a free agent, made the team, had a decent year. Then 89, I stayed in San Diego. 90 and 91, I got released by the Cardinals. But it was always like, I was always a bubble guy and fighting to make the team and then fighting to stay on the team. So it was a lot of anxiety and stress. So when I got released in 91, I think I did a workout or two for like the Lions 
and they flew me down to Miami with the Dolphins. But I knew no one would come at that point, and I was all set to come back home to Boston and just say I was done with football. I really didn't like it at that point because of all my experiences in the NFL and how stressful it was. But Doug kept telling me, "No, hang in there, hang in there. You know, I'll help get you up here somewhere, and you know, you can come up and work out. And if it works out, great. If they don't think you're good enough, then no worries, you go home." So that was maybe, say, the end of August, beginning of September, I got released. And then it was two weeks later that uh, the BC Lions, I think it was Bill Quinter, called me to go up and work out for them, practice with them. What, what do you remember about coming to, uh, to Taylor Field? Uh, I always loved playing in Regina and going to Saskatchewan. Um, I can remember like teammates saying, well, you know, it's going to be cold. It's going to be windy. I'm like, well, what game isn't up here unless we're in a dome or something. So that really didn't bother me. But I thought the fans were great. They were hardcore, you know, Saskatchewan. They were Ryder fans, and you got that right away. But they appreciated, I think, players that played hard well. So I just remember like being close to the the fans in the stadium because it was kind of close to where we stood on the sidelines and they would talk back and forth to you, at least to me, and say, hey, great catch, nice touchdown, you should come to the Riders or something like that. And (laughs) I loved playing there. I really did. Some games were tough, you know, with the wind and snow. And I could probably remember every game I played there, but I almost... Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And we're back with Sports Cage. And joining us right now is the traveling man, Tom Bedard. Dad to Connor and Madison. Husband to Mullane. And uh, Tom, uh, the Pat season ended on Monday with that game seven loss and what has happened with you since then and where are you? Uh, since then I we went back to Regina that night of course and then uh, next day we loaded up uh, the U-Haul and the following day I left about yesterday four in the morning got here at midnight <laughs> last night. Oh jeez. So it was quite a Quite a journey. Right. Now, let's just go back in time when this all started. Of course, three seasons for Connor with the Pats have gone by so fast, it's it's hard to believe. But, of course, he became the first ever hockey player to earn exceptional status uh, for the Western Hockey League, for the league itself, first time. Suddenly, you're uh, probably sitting around the kitchen table with Mullane and you're thinking, oh my goodness, our son is only 15 years old. He's going to play in the Western Hockey League against some kids that are five years uh, older. And so where did you go? Where did you and Mullane, and probably talking to Connor, where did you go from there when when you were facing that situation? Before he came? Uh, right, like, I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's so young. Uh so how you know how are you going to go about that when when you saw when you realized that he was going at such a young age? Yeah, well, that's a, actually a good question because you never. Know, I mean, Connor played in Bantam. We have a double year here, like you know, 
504 or 403. So, and Bantam, of course, is when hockey or hitting starts in hockey, and <clears throat> mm-hmm. and we put him up in that at that time when he was actually a second year at the time. It was Pee Wee. Now that's all U50. I can't. I don't know the numbers exactly, but uh, so that was the same because you go in not knowing what to expect and same as WHL like I knew he did fine uh, in the U18s the year before Mm -hmm. and people advisors and different people suggested it might be the best route to develop keep developing instead of playing in the same league again but even if he would have it would have been fine but that was probably the best route and uh but it's you know it's concerning because you don't know the league that well or how he's going to do or yes strong enough or fast enough or and you don't want any you know of course it's your son you don't want him to get hurt you know for, because of a decision that you know we've all made but yes, still you're yes. always nervous you know mm-hmm. so you made the decision then i assume that your wife was going to go with connor with with him uh, to Regina, I believe she did in Sweden when he played briefly over the COVID. Was that's correct? No, she would have. Well, when he was drafted by Regina, um, of course that was the beginning of COVID. But she was going to go up to stay in Regina. Basically, mm-hmm. John thought it was a good idea because of his age. Actually, Hockey Canada thought it might be a good idea as well, uh, oh, okay. just because. You're younger, but my daughter Madison, not Melanie. Uh, Melanie didn't go over. Uh, Madison, my daughter, and Connor went over to Sweden in the fall just to, you know, train with the team there and maybe hopefully get in a few games, which he did. But he got in five games, I think. Over there. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Melanie too. It's not Melanie. I'm sorry. I, I apologize about that, Tom. That's okay. So she. You know, she you, you moved uh, here. You you got a place in South Regina. Now, Melanie was 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 with Connor, and and that's quite a sacrifice, was it not? I mean, that that's lots of money to do that for your fifteen year old son. Yeah, I know it was. So the, the the first fifteen games in the bubble, of course, we didn't go. But the following season, last year, she went up. Um, and this year as well and yeah it was yeah it's a sacrifice but this you know the journey was a sacrifice and you're always just wanting to uh you know help and do what you can because he had a lot more going on kind of or not Mm -hmm. a lot more but more going on than you know certain other kids and plus he was younger so we just thought it might be better and we weren't planning on it this year but uh then we just decided last minute actually that melanie would go up again and do kind of repeat the same program well it worked <laughs> that's all i yeah. can say and, and in, in hindsight it because you don't know how things are going to work out obviously before they happen and mm-hmm. you know the commitments uh, the you know, but for Connor, I mean, with you know, they you know, being so young, you have school, you have training, you have travel, you have games. Then you have interviewing and different other obligations. It's just a lot uh, to do on on your own. Um, so, in hindsight, it was a good good call for us. I mean, everyone's different, but for us, it was I think a good call. Oh, that's great. Now, 
Uh, were you surprised about how well Connor did right off the bat when he first started playing for the Pats at such a young age? Or did you sort of say, this? you know, my son is very talented, it doesn't surprise me. Was it one or the other? Uh, I think the first. I, w- I didn't know. And I was watching, and the first shift, Brooks broke his leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I'm like, and everything looked, of course, you, you know, your eye isn't adjusted to the league, so so big and so fast. You're like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if this was a good call or not. Yes. Because, uh, you know, you don't, like I said, you don't know the league. At, you know, you know where he was the year before, but you don't know the league. But after the first shift, I could see then that, you know, of course I didn't know, but I could see he could actually play, you know, like he was okay. Anything can happen, but he was okay to play there. Like he was going to, you know, contribute and, and be able to keep up, I, I felt. So, but before the first shift, I, I definitely was wondering. You're a and nervous John, dad. Okay. Yep. What's that? Told me. Paddock, John Paddock told me, you know, I asked him as well, what do you think, you know, because they had a week or two of practice before they started the games in the in the bubble in Regina, so he said, no, no, he's he looks like he'll be able to, to play. So that helped a little, but until you actually see a, a game or two, you know, uh, it was a bit, I was a bit nervous for sure. Uh, I, yeah, that would be big because John Paddock's, you know, been around hockey for so long, including the National Hockey League. When when he told you Connor's going to be okay, that I guess in certain respects that must have been a relief for you in, in, cer- in certain ways. Oh, for sure. I mean, not 100% because, you know, you want to, you're still nervous, but it did. You know, I respected his opinion, of course, and uh, uh, he said as far as, you know, just comparing in practice battle drills, Connor was able to to hold his own. So that made me definitely feel a little more comfortable. Everybody uh, talks about what a, a great and outstanding person Connor is, uh, even through all the attention he gets in, in Regina and Canada. Uh, are, are you uh, really proud about how he's conducted himself off ice? Oh, for sure. No, it's important, I think, you know, to leave a good impression and all just and, and enjoy enjoy the run, enjoy the people that enjoy watching and coming out and you know, that's a big part of it and, and very proud of him for how he handled himself. Now, you and Melanie have certainly well nobody uh, you know, can say you don't support your children because you sure do. Uh very well chronicled to the point where you know, Connor, you're his hero for all that you've done. Uh, and I look at some of the things I've heard about. You you used to get up at 3 in the morning to work so you could drive your kids uh, to sports games. Tell me about that. Well, yeah, I mean, that I was in the forest industry, so it's a long ways from North Vancouver. Like, I'd have to go up around Squamish, Whistler, Pemberton area in the mountains there, but... Uh, that's all I ever did was that job. So, you know, uh, I was able to get home in time to still be part of my daughter was a gymnast and of course Connor played hockey. So I was able to do both, which, you know, that's what you, for me anyway, that was, you know, amazing time in my life to be able to watch your kids and, you know, have time 
be lucky enough to have time with them. So mm-hmm. I didn't really think too much about about that. You know, I just you just do it and because you enjoy it too. It's not it's not like a job. It was like <laughs> my job was sometimes in the morning was like oh, I don't know if I can do it today. But at night, you could always make time, you know, to, to go to a hockey practice or a game or gymnastics meet or practice or whatever. So I enjoyed, I really enjoyed that time. That's great. Now, Zinger, you've got a, a listener who wants to text a question to Tom, do you? Yeah, we got a couple uh, questions on the text line. Trevor and Regina is asking, uh, Tom, what has been your top three favorite things about your time in Regina? putting you on the spot well, for sure <laughs> yeah yeah um well i did, i wasn't there that much that's more my wife i mean my w- wife enjoyed it immensely like you know she loved the people uh how friendly and kind everybody was and how they treated us me i like you know i love going to branson and watching the games and um now i did get it i only got up there a few times this year but uh you know, so just more or less the hockey for me and, and the people, of course, and, you know, and try, I never, I had never been to the Prairie, so drive, I went to Prince Albert and I drove to Winnipeg, drove to Saskatoon, Swift Current, Moose Jaw when I was in, so I enjoyed, you know, the scenery and, and uh, everything about it, really, when I was there. And that kind of leads to the next question. Jim in Regina says, uh, what were your favorite arenas in the Western Hockey League? And I guess more specifically, the ones that you've uh, seen in Saskatchewan. Well, that's a good question. I, I like the brand a lot because you can, I always like to stand. I don't like sitting. And they allow you to stand. Yeah. And also, it's a nice height and lots of good uh, view sight lines. Uh, but I also enjoy going to Swift Current, that little barn. I like, you know, watching that level of hockey on a little smaller venue. Is is uh, I enjoy that. And Prince Albert as well. But Moose Jaw is a beautiful rink, um, too. And so, yeah, those. But I like Swift Current and the Brant kind of Prince Albert. That I like those little little venues where you can get right, just about right on the bench, just about it feels like. Right, so now Connor's coming home. Uh, I guess the next big thing for him is working out and getting ready for the NHL Combine, Tom? Yeah, he's home. He just flew home today, uh, this morning. Uh, Combine's June 4th in Buffalo, I think. Uh, Somewhere around Mm -hmm. that time anyway. So yeah, he's going to have a couple weeks of downtime, or at least a week, and at least off the ice, and just kind of you know, with a long season with the World Juniors and playoffs and, the you know, the actual league, it was a, a lot of skating. So he's going to take a bit of a break, of course, and then he'll get back training. Well, Nor- I, normal stuff. Though. Right, that's good. I wonder if people in North Vancouver have any idea that the Bedard family is royalty in Regina, because you really are. <laughs> Does everybody in North Vancouver know that? I don't think so. I didn't even know that. So, well, let me tell you something. Uh, when Connor uh, finishes what is hopefully a, a great NHL career, I know one thing: he could come back and run for Regina mayor and win easily. <laughs> There's no doubt well, about you it. Never know it. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, they just you nice just uh, 
you hear so many good things about him as a person, uh, which is so important, and obviously a hockey player, but uh, that's got to make a dad proud. Now, Zinger and I here, we're both Montreal Canadian fans, and I was looking at the odds. 6.5% that Connor goes to Montreal. So you're telling me there's wow. a chance. But uh, <laughs> there's a slight <laughs> chance we're hoping. But and when you take a look at the next step, I guess a worried dad just goes to the next phase of being worried uh, because 18 is very young to play in the NHL, and you're just hoping that the team that, that picks Connor knows what they're doing in terms of handling an 18-year-old playing in that league. Yeah, I mean... And we'll see. I mean, you know, you, you got to go to camp and see how you do. And it'd be another step similar to going into the WHL. You're, you don't know the league. For, you know, I, he doesn't and I don't know the league as far as he goes. So you, you have to wait and see how he, uh, you know, plays and, and, and transfers over. So we'll see. But there's always a worry. Yeah, you want to, you know... You want the hockey gods to be kind, and and uh, it, it worked out, of course. Well, the one thing he also did was he handled pressure so well. He handled himself so well under the pressure he was under across the country, really, and, and how well he handled the pressure in the playoffs against Saskatoon. So you, you certainly have every reason in the world, Tom, and to be proud of your son and uh, Melanie as well. I know Madison, is, you're equally proud of her, and we really thank you for for joining us and uh we're it's like we know that this is a city of about i don't know what's regina 230 well he's got 230,000 people that are going to be cheering for him in the nhl tom well thank you i appreciate that you bet thanks tom have a good uh evening sports cage continues in just a moment you're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. All right, it's 4:56 inside the Sports Cage. It's Don Hewitt and myself, Sean Kleisinger, taking you through this Thursday. We just heard from Tom Bedard, the father of Connor Bedard, on the Western Pizza Hotline. If you missed any of that conversation, you can always go back later on tonight and find it on demand. Wherever you find you, uh, wherever you find your podcast, and uh, we are coming up here on the five o'clock hour. James Gallo of the Moose Jaw Warriors, he's getting set for a big series coming up starting tomorrow. Game one's tomorrow in Winnipeg. The Moose Jaw Warriors taking on the Winnipeg Ice. Not many people are uh, gonna be giving Moose Jaw a chance in this series, but. Uh, we shall see what happens. Hoping that the Warriors win at least one on the road, make it a bit of a series, because I think it will be exciting for the region to see the Warriors get close to the final. I'm not saying I'm a Warriors fan, Pats fans, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it will be good for, you know, the community around here. But uh, coming up, yeah, hour three, James Gallo of the Moose Jaw Warriors, John Paddock, the head coach of your Regina Pats, and press coverage with Glenn Suter, brought to you by Quality Tire. You're listening to the Sports Cage for the Canadian Brew House on 620 CKRM. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now, starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Filling in for Michael Ball, here's Don Hewitt. And Don Hewitt along with Son Kleisinger filling in uh, 
for Michael Ball. And don't forget, Sports Cage is brought to you by the Canadian Brew House. Simply Spiked Lemonade is new to the Canadian Brew House with four bold, full-flavored, fizzy choices to enjoy. For the Canadian Brew House, enjoy the NHL playoffs at the uh, Canadian Brew House Saturday nights with a dollar off tankards of Bud and Bud Light. We are now joined by the voice of the Moose Jaw Warriors, James Gallo, on the uh, Western Pizza Hotline. Uh, check your neighborhood Western Pizza for their pickup and dine-in specials. James Gallo, you are heading to Winnipeg. If you're not there already, like, are you on the bus or are you in Winnipeg or where are you? No, we're landed. We're uh, we're we're just sitting at the hotel. Boys are getting some uh, some grub in them right now, and then uh, probably head on up and watch the Jays and Tigers in a little bit. Oh, excellent! Now it seems like when somebody gets the the gig doing the the play by play radio voice of the Warriors, uh, it, it's people seem to hang around. I know there's a a couple of of fellows between you that you did color with, but I I always think of of Rob Carney, 36 years at CHAB Radio 12 is the Warriors play-by-play voice. I think you're you're five years as the play-by-play man. Are you not, James? And then you did color before that? No, I did. uh, My first year was actually Carnes' last year. Uh, So I spent a year with Carnes just kind of doing hosting duties. And then I worked, uh, I worked three years, with Drew Hobrick, and oh, I right. uh, two years with Randy Merkley, and I think this is year 17 for me being the lead announcer. So I think it's... Oh, it's my goodness. And, yeah, I think it's 23 in total years on the broadcast, and 17 is, uh, is, is doing play-by-play. So a lot of mileage, a lot of mileage. And, I, and you know what? I, I learned from some great guys, and, you know, I, I lived with Rob Carney for five years, actually. So that was some <laughs> of the best times I ever had in my life. Uh, <laughs> and if, if, if his walls could talk... Uh, I'd be in trouble, and I don't yeah. want them to talk ever. You, you can't say what went on on those walls on radio. You know that. Just, I, I'm so I apologize. I knew you'd been there a long, long time. I went to a few Warrior games this year. I see you on the big screen of Moose Jaw, but you know, I didn't. I apologize. I didn't realize it was it was that long. And well, both uh, both you and Rob Carney are you're bigger than Scoop Lurie was. I think in Moose Jaw. <laughs> that, that's a bold statement. That's uh, that's a big statement there, Don. I know. It's uh, bold. You know, I love I love Kearns to death. You know, he pops up every now and then. He visits with myself and Derek Klesel. He, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of guys that I've learned over, learned from over the years, and, and he's probably the first one. Uh, just a great mentor. Um, again, I, you know, he, he taught me so much uh, on the radio, but but how to handle myself off the radio. And right. uh, I'm forever grateful to Kearns. He was he was a beauty. Still is. Still is a beauty. Yeah. You know, when I walked around the rink in Moose Jaw. Uh, went with Kevin Glant a few times to watch Matthew. You know, there's something about going to games Moose Show that's special, and one of them is the fans care so much about the team. Yeah. And I thought that I, was so cool. I, I agree. You know, I think it's you know just one of four community-owned teams in the Western Hockey League still, um, and all four teams continue to have success being community-owned. Um, you know, there's a sense of pride in the community as well. I'm not to say that it's not in, in you know, privately owned teams, but, you know, being a smaller center mm-hmm. than, uh, than others, I think there's a, there's a connectability between, you know, the, the community and not just the organization as a whole, but the players, right? right? When these players go walk out and they go to the Mad Greek or, you know, they go to UFC to check out and buy a new hat, I mean, guys know who they are. And, you yep. know, the, the boys do such a good job connecting and they they're always have time to talk with fans and I think that's probably what makes 
a place like Mooshaw Special. And, and I've, I've been fortunate to get to know a lot of alumni over the years, uh, even guys previous uh, to my, to, you know, working with. And they say the same thing. They, they love the community. They, they love the fans. They love, you know, how the community treated them. And uh, it's just, it's a great relationship, a great love story between the players and the community of Moose Jaw. You bet I agree. Now, the players are doing their part on the ice right now. Were you surprised uh, at all, James, when, when Moose Jaw swept Leftbridge? I thought Moose Jaw could beat Leftbridge for sure, but but to actually sweep them, were you surprised at that? Yeah, I think I think it's a fair assessment, Don. Like, I think, uh, I think we we're, were buckled in for the long haul on that one. Uh, but I think when you look at it overall, I think, uh, you know, our guys just capitalized when they had their chances. You know, when, when they had those moments, and playoffs are about moments, that, that's when they when they had the big moments. You think about Jagger Furcus, that double overtime goal. Yes. Um, you know, I, th- I thought the whole turning point in the series for me was, was game three. It was 13 seconds left in the first period. Jagger Furcus scored on an amazing backhand on, on the goal line. And, yeah. You know, that... That, that, to me, was the whole turning point because, you know, the Warriors went on. They scored, you know, three goals in the second period right after that. They took an eventual 3 nothing series lead, and then they won to win in four straight. But a little surprised it went with just four games, but I'll take it. I enjoyed my Easter weekend off. Yeah. <laughs> Fergus, 10 <laughs> points uh, versus Leftbridge. Pretty good. And, of course, uh, Braden Yeager, five goals. He's going to go probably around the mid, mid-first-round pick in the NHL draft. Now, Connor Unger in goal. I mean, you're looking at his stacks, stats. Nine, five, three save percentage. One point two nine goals against. I mean, you're going against the, uh, you know, 325 goals in the season from the Winnipeg Ice. But is is Connor Unger the best goalie in the Western Hockey League? Do you think, James? I'm biased when I say it, Don, but I say yes. And I, to me, I think in this in this playoff series between Winnipeg and Boucher, you've got two of the best goaltenders in the Western Hockey League with Connor Unger of the Warriors and Daniel Hauser of the Winnipeg guys. Mm-hmm. Both are the backbones of their team. Uh, you know, I think I think Connor's maybe asked to do more because I think Winnipeg, they spend so much time in the offensive zone. But Connor has been, uh, you know, in, in my mind, one of the MVPs for this team. Um, in the first round, he, he was fantastic. But I didn't even think he was at his best. You know, I, I've seen Connor Unger do some pretty amazing things. And, and I think... And we've dialed in, and he's ready to go. And, you know, this team, if they're able to pull off an upset, it will be on the shoulders of Connor Unger. He's, he's got to bring his A-plus game against Winnipeg. Uh, he will be tested. He's beaten Winnipeg twice. Yes. So, so that's good. I mean, the Warriors did take the regular season series against the Ice. Not many teams can say that. Uh, like and nobody. The did it to, yeah, and the Warriors did that to, because of a guy like Connor Unger. And you beat Winnipeg uh in Winnipeg on March 22nd, so not too long ago. What I was impressed with, I, I guess, James, we're not going to go over this in detail, but I, you know, the, the four players came back from suspension. Sometimes you wonder, is this team going to stay together, or is everything going to be okay? And they, they did. I mean, they, the four players were welcomed back, were they not? And you, you played well as a team in that first round. Yeah, didn't miss a beat, right? I mean, I think uh, those guys came back, uh, you know, welcomed with open arms. And, you know, they've done such an amazing job. You know, you think about, you know, Max Warner and the well, oh, well, he's played. Leonard Lakovich scored the series game-winning goal in game four. Merrick Howell logged a lot of mileage for the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Back in. Uh, they've done a great job. And I think uh, they know what they're here to do, and they're here to win games. And, and they're focusing on that, and that's, that's nice to see. Very nice to see. Now the revenge factor. Of course, you played the ice last year in the second round. They beat you 
in five games. How big is the revenge factor, do you think, for the Warrior players? And how much do you think Mark O'Leary learned from losing uh, to Winnipeg last year for his strategy this year? Motivation, I think, is a big thing. There's a lot of there's a lot of Warriors on this team that were on the team last year that experienced mm-hmm. that. Um, and honestly, Don, I can tell you, there's a different sense going into this series this year on this side of things. Um, last year, the Winnipeg Ice, man, they were a wagon. They were a really good team. Not to say they aren't this year, but I think there's a different sense around this Mushia Warrior team. I think this Warrior team is better than what they were last year. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're deeper than what they were last year. They think they get contributions uh, throughout the course of their lineup than what they got last year. And I think they have an opportunity to test the Winnipeg guys. As I mentioned, 3-2-0-1-1. They are the only team to take a regular season series against the ice that I know of uh, this season. That is impressive. Um, that March 22nd win in Winnipeg, huge, huge confidence. That was the Warriors' first win in Winnipeg since 1984 when they were the Winnipeg Warriors. Wow. So I think um, there is a different feel around this team, around the Mushal Warriors coming in in this series than what we saw last year. And I think this team feels that they can do it. I think this team feels that they could be the team to, to pull off this upset. And uh, being around them all the time, um, I, I just get that sense. And it's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling going into game one. But Again, you can you can feel as good as you want. It doesn't matter if you don't win, right? Yeah. So they got to they got to come in, and, and I think the split is obviously the key here in Winnipeg. Um, the ice are a team of momentum when they have it; they're tough to stop. And we'll see if Mooshaw can maybe create some momentum of their own and, and take one of these first two games. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Mark O'Leary tries to clog up perhaps the neutral zone because you're going from a heavy Lethbridge team to a fast Winnipeg team. Yeah, you know it's. Uh, Winnipeg's really fast, as you mentioned, Don. Um, you know, they're fast going north, but they're fast coming south, right? To me, I was actually talking to Mark yesterday, and uh, I was kind of asking him about my keys for the series. And one of my keys is between the blue lines. It's going to be really important in the neutral zone. Can the Warriors come up the ice smooth against, you know, a, a very good defensive team uh, of the Winnipeg ice and how they bottle things up and create turnovers and play with short ice? That's the offensive side of things. As, as well as the Warriors want to move north, they have to have as strong as a commitment to come back south. And that, those forwards have to come back to the middle of the ice. they got to take away lanes. The defensemen, good sticks, good gaps, right? Keep the ice to mm-hmm. the outside. The neutral zone is going to be really, really important for both teams in this series. Who can control it and who right. can win those battles? Totally. Well, we, we, we hope to hear a lot of old babies from you tomorrow night, James Gallo. <laughs> So do I, Doug. So do I. It's, uh, it's going uh, fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, we wish you and the Warriors uh, all the best of luck tomorrow night in Winnipeg. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage. Right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM. It's 520 inside the Sports Cage. Don Hewitt, I'm Sean Kleisinger. The Blue Jays and Tigers just underway. It's bottom of the first and Bo Bichette with just a nice little hit there down the right field line. So uh, runner on first base, 1-0, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the play for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's a 1-0 count. I'll give you the play-by-play for one more pitch. Let's see what happens. Spencer Turnbull right down the middle, 95-mile-per-hour fastball, swing and a miss. Vladdy Guerrero, it's 1-1. One 
Well, it was a swing and a miss type season for the Regina Pats. I mean, uh, unfortunately, they were very close to uh, entering in uh, the second round. And I'm just looking at a score here. Sweden scores with less than 10 seconds left to tie Canada 2-2 two to two and force overtime in the quarterfinals at the Women's World's uh, Hockey Championship. So Don Hewitt and coming up clutch with that one. So uh, if you're around a TV screen, just hold off until after the sports cage, and then you can uh, check out that game if it's in double OT, maybe. That sounds like a good idea. Hey, let's uh, check in with John Paddock. He was at the Brand Center yesterday. It was garbage bag day at the Brand Center. The Pats cleaning out their locker rooms. And John Paddock, he was asked the question if he thought the 2022-23 season was a letdown. Not necessarily, but, you know, we definitely wanted to make the playoffs and felt we had to. And, you know, I think, you know, it really hurt the Whiteheads and the Spencers and the Vallises not playing in the playoffs last year. And, uh, so, like, it'll help them this year. So, you know, we had a – I figured we would make the playoffs with him, you know, and we'd done some things that – or did one thing that was – I felt it would help us now in the future of the team and making the trade for Sam Remba. And it took Sam a while to get going, but he did. So, you know, that ends up solid. So there was only so much we could do with right now or this time frame from the trade deadline on. And we'd done our moves, and we were pretty confident if we were healthy that we'd make the playoffs. So, and, I, you know, I think that I expected or thought we were going to win a round. No, he didn't, but he couldn't come much closer. Are you coming back next year? Uh, I'm not going to get into that too much, but I'm going to be going to uh, Salmon Arm next week and Red Deer the next week, so i got lots of work to do. Why are you going there? Tournaments, battle tournaments. Managing, okay. Management part of the job. There's not much downtime. Do you think right now Connor would fit into an NHL lineup? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's not coming back. I mean, yeah, he would. I mean, the different things that you hear of this sort of scuttlebutt, if this organization gets him, what he's going to be doing. And this is this is the non-hockey part that he's been besieged with here. Like, he'll be throwing a first pitch out there, and he'll be throwing a first pitch out there, and he'll be kicking a soccer ball for some soccer team there. Like, like you know, everybody plans and knows, believes where he's going to be. Is that what makes him such a special player in your mind? Well, I guess what makes him such a special player? Uh, his completely all body in, dialed in all the time. You know, his ability that, you know, certainly, I guess to quite an extent, uh, is God-given, and maybe you can say that about his work ethic, or maybe you can just say because his dad would leave North Van to go up and work in Pemberton at 3 in the morning and come back to get him with the ice. Like, I don't know, work ethic doesn't just happen, but you have to have that drive. So, yeah, like, I, he's just a, a unique person and athlete, hockey player. You've been coaching for a long time. Would you say he sort of stands out as, as, as the best player you've ever coached, or where does he rank among the rappers? Well, he's the best junior player I've ever coached, and, you know, people that have been working in the league for 43 or 44 years say there's never been anything like him so but I, I don't have much doubt person belief that he's going to 
do it in the NHL, but I can't put him ahead of Solani or Chera or Alfredson when he's only 17. But the places that they are, I won't be alive when he goes into those places, but he'll be, he'll do that, I think. And what are your thoughts on the idea of hanging his jersey or his number in the Raptors? Yeah, that's not my department, so I don't know. <laughs> we got too many numbers retired now. I will say that I I believe that nobody will wear 98, but retired, like, I don't know. We need to get some of those, in my opinion, we need to get some of those numbers back in circulation and still honor them. Like, I mean, Clark Gillies, good friend, God bless him. But I would think he would have been happy for somebody to wear a nine that wanted to wear a nine that was a significant player. Or I know Jock Callender, these, these guys, like, I don't know. That, that's a different subject, so we're not talking about that today. And it's, I don't really care, but I just think that there's yeah. only certain guys. How, how has time flown for you? It sort of felt like the, the blink of an eye happened here and been able to watch him while he has been here. Yeah, we were talking about that uh, yesterday, just that, uh, and with, with him this morning, just that. You know, it's gone by fast. Like I said, was this the first time I met you? And yeah, he said, thought so. And all of a sudden we're waiting for the lottery for the draft. And then I remember that day clearly we, you know, we maintained the lottery position and he's here and then drafted by us. And then, you know, COVID puts a, it was a big thing for everybody. I guess we were slightly worried about too, going to Sweden. Like, why do you want to go there? But we knew why in a way, and he was going to be able to keep playing hockey. So that was important, but when you know him now, he doesn't take those decisions lightly, and you know he's he was going there because he needed to keep getting better, and that's really his only objective is to keep getting better. So I'm glad he went to Sweden, ruffled some feathers in the hockey world in Canada, but like who cares? You mentioned scouting already. What uh, and what's the plan leading up to the Madden draft? Well, we had meetings two, well, three weeks ago maybe. It's uh, Dale and draft is whatever it is, the 11th. The U.S. draft is the day before. The scouts have come in on that Sunday night. Those two drafts are Wednesday, Thursday, so we'll be in meetings those three days leading up to the draft. And I mean, if I could, I'd move up in the draft with something. But that's... Nobody's interested in talking about trades and drafts right now, me included, so uh, when it gets closer to the time frame, we'll see where we are. And you know, our scouting staff has done an amazing job of finding players in the later rounds. Like, mind-boggling, really. Um, and there has to be luck attached to it, but there's luck attached to all picks. But, you know, Parker Berg's an eighth-round pick, and Logan was an eighth-round pick, and Riker was a tenth-round pick, and Max was a tenth-round pick. Like, uh, and there's other guys. There's there's four or five others that we got something for. Hilson Dogger was an eighth or ninth round pick and was a good player for us. And we traded him, to, you know. So we'll get three or four players out of the draft. Is it going to be Sam Steele's or Connor Bedard's or Cole Temple's? Probably not down there. But in saying that, you know, Carter Hart was an eighth round pick by Everett. He's the best goalie that's played in this league in all my time here. And there's a death of goalies in Canada. Period. So you don't, you never know. Like you're going to. Riker Evans, I was here in Seattle, people talking or reading something the other day. He's their best prospect. I don't know, maybe they forgot that they have Shane Wright or maybe something's changed. I'm just being serious. Like, here's a 10th round pick in Bantam who was like five foot three and 113 pounds. And now he's the Seattle Kraken's best prospect. We'll find players that can play on our team. Is there uh, any focus and need maybe at the top of the draft? Uh, that's hard. That's a little bit hard to say. We're real happy with last year's draft where we got a centerman and 
Cole and uh, another scorer in Allman and, and Smith, a defenseman. So it's easy to say we'll take the best player, but you know, I, I'm just not sure yet. I haven't. My time has all been into coaching, and so I'll be seeing Dale at these tournaments. We'll be together, and we'll have, probably have some sort of meeting before I leave for it. Just uh, more where the present day team stands in regards to what's coming up. I don't know. I like to say we take the best player. I like to say we take a centerman or defenseman because centermen can always play wing. Wings can't play center. But you know, we'll see what the draft goes. Pat's head coach and general manager, John Paddock, joining the media yesterday under the orange top. I love when he was asked the question, uh, do you think Connor Bedard could fit in in an NHL lineup today? And then John's like, oh, yeah, he's not going to be back. Just telling it like it is. Love it. Going to hit the break on the other side. Press coverage with Glenn Suter for quality tire. You're listening to the Sports Cage for the Canadian Brew House on 620 CKRM. It's 5.33 with your sports ticker for Busy Bee Overhead. Busy Bee will repair or replace your residential or commercial garage door so you don't get stuck in or out. Catch the buzz. Busy Bee Doors, the garage door specialists. Women's World Hockey Championships, Sarah Nurse scores her... And a pop-up went down on my phone. Sarah Nurse scores her second of the game in overtime as Canada gets a scare... But they defeat Sweden 3-2 to two to advance to the semifinals. Let's hear one for Sarah Nurse. Let's go. Let's head ringside and check in with the oldest major junior hockey team in Canada. This is Pat Chats from your official voice of the Regina Pats, 620 CKRM. Thursday's patch hat is for the Canadian Brew House. Simply Spiked Lemonade is new to the CBH with four bold, full-flavored, fizzy choices to enjoy. Yesterday at the Brand Centre was media day as the Regina Pats cleaned out their lockers to conclude officially the 2022-23 season. And head coach John Paddock, he was asked what it has been like watching Connor Bedard mature. It's hard to describe him. You know, he was the best player when he was when he first came in the hub. I've told this story before to lots of different people and asked maybe a similar question. I wasn't in the hub. I went down to talk to Dave in the COVID world. We weren't supposed to do that through the glass. But, you know, he said, what did you think? And I said, well, the 15-year-old looked like a 20-year-old. The 20-year-old looked like a 15-year-old. And that was Carson, who was a good goal scorer. And, you know, five days later, before just before it started, I told Al Miller, like, he's, he's going to be able to play in the under-18. I mean, you could just see it. So it's never changed. He's just gotten better. And and then he's, you know, he was always mature with how he's brought up, etc. always a hard worker. But we really saw, especially the last half of the year, just a step in, like, speaking up and speaking out and, you know, in a way challenging us at different times. Like, you know, he's... Like, you, you can't be asleep as a coach like Brad does most of the practices. And, you know, I'm listening to Brad, and I don't even know what the drill's going to be exactly. And Connor asks him a question because he knows. And he knows it wasn't explained right. Like, it's just it's a unique, special experience. that it's, it's, You could talk all day on it, but, well, good, he grew into it. I mean, he wanted it, and he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to be the guy in all situations. And, you know, he became that. You know, he always was going to be the guy on the ice, 
per se, but uh, he became that in his maturity and his ability to, to talk and ability to, you know, speak to people probably, you know, in the dressing room and and him and I's conversations. He's a challenging guy, so you have to be ready for him. Going back, going back to Monday night, what do you think was the big difference in the Monday's game against the Lakes? Uh, they're just their overall depth. Um, I think took its, you know, just allowed them to keep playing the same way. Um, you know, I moan about injuries. They probably had injuries, that, but their guys kept playing. Like, you know, we missed a Borea Vallis, you know, the whole series, and different guys were in and out a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, we always knew they were a good team. We always felt we could beat them. Seven games is what decides it. And some big news for the Pats came in the late afternoon yesterday. Stanislavs Vozel will make his NHL debut tonight for the Columbus Blue Jackets as the Jackets take on the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's your Thursday Pat Chat. Saskatchewan gets in second row. They've been bringing Glenn Suter up on the outside. Sometimes they blitz him, sometimes they don't. But when he's blitzed, he's had success. And it's picked up by Suter. He runs it out. It's time for press coverage as former writer greats and veteran CFL football broadcaster Glenn Suter shares his unique and passionate perspective about the league we love with Rider Nation. And uh, press coverage with uh, Glenn Suter brought to you by Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. Uh, great to hear from you again, or about to hear from you again, Glenn. And the best news in football today, I thought. Dan Snyder is finally out of the NFL, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was... Uh... That was interesting, and and to see the amount of money that is changing hands, I think yeah. puts in perspective. It puts in perspective the the just the thought, even even remote thought of of the NFL ever being in Canada. It just it just it's never going to happen, not in our lifetime for sure, and and beyond. I mean, it's we're talking billions and billions of dollars, and there's no stadium that would be suitable for the NFL in Canada. So it's, uh, you know, I think we just enjoy what we got, and you can watch the NFL and cheer for it uh, right across the border. Well, you know, I think the odds of the NFL coming to Canada are about the same, Glenn, as the NHL coming to Saskatchewan. I think they're about equal. Zero at this point in time. Yeah, that's too bad, you know, because, boy, what a market that would be for an NHL team. And, I've uh, seen on the news that the uh, Winnipeg Jets are a little bit concerned about not selling out what is a very small arena, you know, Mm -hmm. comparatively speaking, when you look at the NHL numbers. And, you know, they had so many sellouts for so long when they lost the team and then got it back. And then after COVID, it just has been a very different story. So they're, you know, they're financially, and that's, you know, that's why sometimes I, I try to give people perspective when it comes to, you know what's what's a bigger issue? Not selling out a sixteen thousand seat arena when you have hundred. You know what is what is the uh, what is the the cap for the NHL? What is it around five hundred million or something for for the entire team? Well, yeah, and it's going so, up. Uh, I'm not sure the exact cap. I mean, it's actually only fifteen thousand. 
seats in Winnipeg, which makes it even yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so so they're not selling out the fifteen thousand seat arena for the Winnipeg Jets in what what is a hockey nation? This is a hockey nation. Hockey first, always. So yeah. And I don't dispute that. So you know, what's the what's the bigger issue that or twenty one thousand, twenty two thousand in BC place for nine Lions games? You know, I, like it's. I just like to keep it in perspective and make sure there's balance in that reporting. Well, yeah, and, and there isn't, as you said. Actually, the, I mean, the salary cap, I believe it's about $82.5 million, Glenn. Yeah. Uh, but you pointed that out last year. Um, actually, t- you sort of took me by surprise when we were on the air last year, and you were saying, look, if you're if you're counting empty seats in the CFL, it's not only the CFL, and, and that is exactly correct, Uh yeah, I mean, a lot of it's the big screen TV and Glenn Suter's mug right there, and you can just go get your beer, and you don't have to do anything, and it's free, pretty much. And yeah. that's 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 one problem. You you shouldn't be so good on the air, Glenn. You're hurting attendance anyway. Well, um, we, well, we like that. We like that though. I mean, there's you know that's okay too because what happens there, Don, as you know, is is you have yeah yes you have. Uh, uh, you know, maybe some people that aren't going to go to the stadium and see the game and they're going to watch it on TV, but yep. the owner of the team puts a sign or a corporate logo in the stadium and then right. that gets caught on, on TV. So that, you know, it all just sort of supports itself. Oh, it does. And, and teams have learned long ago in leagues that blackouts do not work. They do not work. They, they, you sell your product uh, in many ways in television or through television, and then you create a desire amongst people after they see it sometimes on TV to actually go to the game. But there was uh, big news in the CFL uh, today, and, and positive news, that's for sure, Glenn. I guess no surprise in some respects that the Blue Bombers uh, announced a $4.9 million profit for uh, 2022. Uh, you know, they're the best franchise both on and off the field at this point in time. They averaged uh, just under 29,000 fans a game. I hate to admit it, Glenn, but let's face it, there uh, there's some distance between the Bombers and other franchises in the overall business and football operation. Well, it, it helps that they've been in the Cup as many times as they have in a row and they, you know their team on the field has been one that is pretty exciting and you know uh putting up big numbers so that that helps but yeah no you know i i still think between winnipeg and saskatchewan that's the core and that's where you know that's where you can build off of you look at the models there and you look at how it's generational that you know, the, the organizations both in Saskatchewan and Winnipeg aren't just looking at trying to sell a 25 or 27 year old right now to go to the games. They're, they're trying to talk about families and getting your eight year old or your six year old. And that's, that's what a, that's what a Mardoman is doing here in Vancouver. I mean, he is, he, he has got it. I mean, I, I had a great conversation with him recently and, um, boy, the, the plans he has to, to reach out to minor football and get all yes. the kids excited and get all the flag football players and all that. It's pretty exciting. And under his leadership, the BC Lions, of course, donating $300,000 to amateur football in BC. Now, that that's fabulous. I can't remember the last time that happened. Now, they even showed, and this is bad to do on radio, by the way, uh, new uniforms, a blackout and, and fog gray a uniform for this upcoming season. Uh, the blackout, I didn't like. The fog gray, I absolutely loved, Glenn. 
Uh, yeah, I like them both. You know, I, again, I I think they were they were sort of working off that gunmetal gray that people found they just loved. I mean, yeah. again, again, that's a younger demographic that's getting excited about those things, and that's good. I mean, that's what we need to do, um, and and make sure as a league that we're we're innovative and and trying to make changes and look at new and exciting updating updating uh without without forgetting the tradition and they haven't you know some of the striping uh was from old lion uniforms and yeah i'd like them for a lot of reasons they're flashy they look great i think the kids are going to love them and and for a broadcaster, they look like the numbers are going to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. Well, I, I'm I'm biased against black uniforms. Probably a lot of people like them. But ever since the Rough Riders wore black, I thought that is awful. <laughs> anyway. The only ones I Don Don the only ones I I didn't like in Saskatchewan were the ones where we wore green pants and a green jersey yeah. because we looked like pickles. <laughs> 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 Or pajamas, one of the pickles, yeah, probably more so. You know, it's interesting if you take a look at the the numbers uh, that the Bombers uh, were talking about today. Uh, you figure out it's about forty-one million to operate a CFL team in a season. That's big business. Uh, it's big business. I don't know if people realize how big it is. Uh, that's exactly why, Glenn, the XFL is going to fall on its face because football teams are so expensive to operate. I mean. But the XFL is already dying, and it's dying fast. Look at the attendance last week, Glenn. 11,000 in Seattle, 12,000 in San Antonio, where they thought they'd have many more fans, only seven in Oakland. And the only reason that there's 35,000 in St. Louis is because everybody in St. Louis hates the NFL. They should actually hate Stan Kroenke, who couldn't wait to move the Rams to to St. You yeah. know, to Los Angeles, but the fact is, is these leagues are never going to work, and the CFL is going to continue to be the second best, if not because it's a different style, the best in entertainment football league in the world. It's not going to change anytime soon. Well, there's two real pro football leagues in the world, and, and they're both in North America, and, and the CFL is one of them. So, uh, you know, that's and and it's too bad, really, Don. Because I, I'm all for more opportunities for players to keep playing beyond college and mm-hmm. uh, keep their keep their sort of their dream alive. And and yeah, I mean, you'd love to make big money, just like you and I would love to do a radio show in downtown New York and make you know four million dollars a year each. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> I'm ready that's, to do it, Glenn. I'm ready. Yeah, that's a, that's a no brainer. But um, you know, the the reality is that um, the history. You know what's what's the saying if you don't learn from it? I mean, yes, the XFL is facing that again. It's it's too bad. I remember McMahon in in the last time XFL two. This is XFL three, I think. The last time they tried it with McMahon, yeah. And um, I remember reading that he had lost two hundred and fifty million dollars in two months running yeah. the football league, and then said he folded it because of the pandemic. And I went, uh, was it the pandemic or was the pandemic just a really good re- time to get out because you're yeah, losing tons right. of money? Well, The Rock's got a lot of money, but he's going to lose a chunk of it. And usually people with money don't like losing it. The people I know that like have money don't like losing it, Glenn. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I think owners will tell you that they will... As long as the franchise values are going up, even in a slow way, but as long as they're going up, 
um, you know, they're, they're willing to take losses to continue to build that. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I just, I, I, I don't see the end game being that for these spring leagues because they're just, you know, they're, it's, it's just too much. And tradition, the tradition of high school to college, to pro football, NFL football for the United States and for Americans, that tradition is so ingrained. It is. That, you know, they, they'd have to last 10 years to make a dent. And if they do, great for players, but let's see. I'll, I'll talk about the XFL being a real deal if they can do it for 10 years. Oh, I agree. I, I mean, as far as I know, the only thing that people care about is college football, which is huge in the U.S., as we know, and, and yep. the NFL. And it's, it's generational. I mean, uh, you know, so many times kids become fans of teams because their dad or mom were the fans and and that's not going to change and and you know that's why the giants are bigger than the new york jets for example because generations and generations were giant fans and then the next generation in the same family were giant fans and the jets have a big following too uh that's why it's never going to work because uh there's just no tradition and then uh, you know the xfl i think the first weekend there wasn't much cooking in sports but then you know you've got march madness then you've got uh what the masters last weekend now baseball's going now you got nba playoffs starting you got nhl playoffs on monday and it's just dead it's over as soon as all those other sports start that's it yeah not to, not to mention there's two spring leagues competing against each other because the Uf- usfl starts right now so you know, it's it again. I I would love to see sort of these spring leagues as feeder a feeder system. If you had one spring league, and it was a feeder system to both the NFL and the CFL, mm-hmm. and you know you could you could say you know we'll come and scout. It's kind of like a you play eight games as uh, you know they're almost like preseason games or scrimmage games to to be evaluated. And then you get a chance to either play in one of the two pro professional leagues in North America. And, and you know, I, I, I'd hope for that for the player's sake. But as far as it damaging Canadian football, we just got to stop that narrative. Just let's get off that hamster wheel because it's just not true. Well, I think a lot of people are off that hamster wheel Thank thanks to Simon Fraser University and what they did. I mean... Anyway, do I have to go to a break now, Zinger, and then be back with Glenn? Okay, we'll be right with you, Glenn, in a second. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. This Day in Sports History, brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln, on the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua, April 13th, 1986. Jack Nicholas becomes the oldest Masters winner at the age of 46, edging Greg Norman by one stroke for his 18th and final major. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And we're back inside the Sports Cage. It's 5.54. One more segment to go here with Glenn Suter. Just watching the Toronto Blue Jays taking on the Detroit Tigers right now. And the Tigers up on the Jays, one to nothing. Bottom of the third. The Blue Jays have runner on first base, George Springer at the plate, Don. Who doesn't like George Springer? Mm. Just his smile. He's such a friendly fellow. Yeah, white teeth, too. I wish I had white teeth like that. (laughs) Maybe I should brush him, I guess, maybe. That's a start. (laughs) A little flossing might help. Yeah, maybe. I was sitting at 
home the other day, Glenn, and for some reason I started to think about the Edmonton Elks and uh, how bizarre it is that they haven't won a home game since uh, October, I believe, of 2019. And then I thought, you know what? If they get it together, the fans are going to come back, and I think they're going to come back big just because of what we talked earlier about tradition. And, and and they have a great tradition, and there's a lot of people that haven't forgotten about it. I think they'll come back if they start winning, Glenn. I, I do too. You know, I you know I I think they're frustrated. I think the you know the name change had sort of a residual effect. I, I don't think it it's a, that big a deal. You know, ten years from now we won't be talking about it. Um, but the the fans will be back. I mean, there's great tradition. Sports fans in general in Edmonton, as you know, they've they've had such great championship teams both on the ice and on the field. And uh, you know, and the other thing is they've got they've got good leadership in Victor Kui. I mean, he's he's learning as he goes, but I think, but everyone is, and and you know, he's he's got the right sort of core values that he's proud of the league. He's not trying to apologize for it. He's He's trying to build a great team, and Chris Jones yep. has a method to his madness. So let's <laughs> let's see what they look like this year. And uh, I'm I'm with you though. It, it's bizarre that they just didn't, you know, even fumble their way to a home win yeah. for all that streak. But you know, but you know what? It, you know, they they have a, a goal, and when they do, they can get people excited and real build and really build off it. Okay, when you look at them uh, right now and what they've done in the off season, what they had going towards the end of last year. Uh, how do you see them on the field this year? Do you think they can, you know, compete for, like, third place or that sort of thing? Well, you know what? I, I want to wait and see the draft, see the rosters get, you know, filled out completely, what they look like, see the, uh, you know, the... I, I like to sort of make those assessments, Don, when we get to sort of at the... just before... Uh, training camp and you take a good hard look at the roster but uh, you know when you when you think about development at quarterback that's happening and you know you got guys that have a little bit more experience now and and taylor cornelius has all the 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 gifts uh you know all the skill that he needs and um you know it's a matter of will they will they come together under the plan of chris jones I, i believe Here's what, here's what people don't talk enough about when it comes to Chris Jones. Yep. The players love him. Mm-hmm. The players absolutely love him. And, and that will, you know, that will show up. That will re, re, rise to the top at some point. And, you know, they, the guys will rally. They'll come together. They'll take ownership. And, and then you don't have to have the most skilled team or the best quarterback. You just have to have a team that all plays together and all takes care of their own jobs and, place for each other and and you can do good things so uh, they love chris jones and that that well maybe we'll see if that sort of he's built it he has he built it now is this about the time right year three yep. is it year three yeah yeah this should be about the time on his schedule i'd say well the one thing about edmonton is if you've ever been in edmonton in winter you want to leave edmonton not that regina's all that great, but Edmonton, a little darker, colder, and if you can go outside in Edmonton in the summer on a beautiful summer night, that's the thing to do in Edmonton. Yeah, Don't you absolutely. think? And, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, I think we all can sort of take a, a look at, we you know, when we have the pride in our team, you build a team that the fans can be proud of, 
you're in the community, which they are in a big, big way. You know, it's a community-owned team, as you know. So they're they're out there and, and selling, and the players are out there talking to high school kids and everybody. You know, they're getting excited about it. And, um, you know, you, you, can't not, you can't win every year. And this idea that, well, they haven't won for a long time, and fans are kind of – they're angry with them, so they're not coming because they're not winning. Well, that's true, but – if you put a, a, a team on the field that the, the fans can be proud of that are busting their butts every game, that fight to get to, first of all, 500 in the playoffs and then take a run, you know, that, that then you're proud of your team and you go and you cheer them on. You, you're, you, want, you feel like, as a, I think, as a fan, you feel like you're helping. Yes, they're, absolutely. They're out, they're, they're out there leaving it all on the field. and Not that they haven't when they were losing over the last few years, but it's – that's what they're building, and I think that's what every team's building. And we just be proud of our, of our league and our teams, and especially you know, when it's Edmonton. We used to that the Edmonton Eskimos at the time were our number one rival. Yes, I mean, yep. Uh, I mean, other than Labor Day, when you played, they we called it the Evil Empire. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And and we'll talk to you about this later because lots of time before the regular season starts. But that opening game, Saskatchewan and Edmonton for the regular season, that's going to be a biggie. But uh, that's for another time to talk about. Thanks for joining us. Uh, doing a great job as usual, Glenn. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Zinger. All Have right, good Glenn. Weekend, talk guys. to you Have later. Night, and just so you guys uh, in Radio Land know, of course, uh, Brendan McGuire will be back yeah. with Zinger uh, tomorrow. Uh, Brendan McGuire will be back again with Zinger on Monday. Uh, then Don Hewitt uh, will be with Zinger uh, with Sports Cage hosting on Tuesday. And then the big man, the big man Ballsy, who says he's only 50, but we think he's 51. <laughs> We'll be back in the big chair where he rightfully belongs on Wednesday. Have a good day. So Let's do, do the do math. Quick math. Quick I've, math. 82, 92, 2002, 2012. Oh, he's turning 51 this year. He is. Yeah. So maybe it's birthday. So not. he's not a liar. So he's not. Okay. Yeah. He's not. I was suspicious that. Or is he? Well, we'll look. We don't know his. We'll let you know tomorrow. (laughs) We'll let you know tomorrow. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. Six twenty CKRM.